of all Champions League goalkeepers I've seen, and Carrius included, what about the fellow in the goal for Villarreal? Carrius included is the worst thing any Liverpool <laughs> fan can say. That's the harshest. Well, Carrius was hopeless, wasn't he? OTB AM, live, weekday mornings from 7.30 on the OTB Sports app. OTB AM. With Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. See, it's half past seven. You're very welcome along to OTBAM. Journal with you all the way through until ten this morning. Are Liverpool fans really happy that the week is long and slow, or are they living life their best life at the moment? On what is it? Living their best life is it without question. If you can't realise that this is the best season of your life, then you're probably doing something wrong. And the greatest team they've ever had, and the best squad they've ever had. Yeah, yeah. I don't think. I think the long weeks are the good weeks. Do you think Jurgen Klopp? was watching OTBAM last week when I was Definitely. saying you should pick your B team put the B team out and see what happens yeah no 100% the only thing that matters now is the Champions League Jurgen I know you know you've probably thought about a lot of things but you probably haven't thought about this and it was just when Nathan was being a bit of a dick that he was like I can't be on that guy's side like I mean in the meantime we did have a few injuries being uh, inflicted <sighs> upon in, uh, uh, exactly as, as we predicted yeah, you can get on board this bandwagon view. Of course, want to. I mean our show has uh, essentially inspired uh, another three points for Liverpool Football Club. I, I don't think the, the injuries were entirely to uh, um, exp- blame or explain the midfield that they started with last night. So maybe he was always going to shuffle the deck regardless of what was going to happen. It was quite the shuffle. Yeah, it was gunslinger territory. It was like I, you know, I, I had somebody um, immediately after the game on Sunday on Saturday tweet me about how disappointed I must be that my one one out of the four theory was blown up and I was like oh, no, not, not what was your one out of four theory it's like what if they only end up with one trophy is it a good season or a bad season yeah what is it good season or bad season now obviously if they only end up with the two domestic cups is it good season or bad season you know the cups from the UK the, mm-hmm. the domestic cups yeah yeah was it a good season or bad season? Well, I presume the, the, the fact that you're asking this means that you, you think that the answer is bad season. I don't, actually. I actually no? don't. I think that all that you care about as a sports fan should be that you're in the game and that the team represents who you are and that you love them. That's that's like... That's I, not all that matters, though. Winning is a, is a pretty big part of all of this as well. It doesn't matter anymore. It does, though. I don't, I, it really like, does. Winning does it has, a, has a significant part. Otherwise, sports just wouldn't exist. Uh, look, it's obviously the reason that we play the game is to give out medals and trophies at the end. Mm. I understand that. However, every season, there is one team in most sports that ends the season thinking, OK, that was a good season, if that's the only metric. But Liverpool fans must feel alive. And if they'd only ended up with winning the carding Coca-Cola Carabao on penalties look. with uh, with Cuevin Kelleher being the hero, the rest of the season is not a failure, even though they get beaten in the cup final Losing the last day of the season, they get beaten in the cup final. I would argue. Yeah. They've been thrilling. But the, but the, the whole point of being a Liverpool fan, I would suggest, is the, the sense of exceptionalism, the fact that we are a team that uh, are the one, the one team. Like, you're right, there can only be one team who wins all of these competitions. But Liverpool fans want to be that one team. And of course, just because you're not that one team doesn't mean it's a failure of a season. It just makes the end of the season a little bit of a failure. That's all. Uh. But it, it would mean you you would lose uh, to the FA Cup final. It would have mean it would mean you would lose the Champions League final. So that would be two games that, that you'd have lost. But wouldn't it you mean, feel alive as it happened? Yes, of course, of course. That's but that's a that's a different thing. It's not anymore. It's not. It's all. It's all you want is to feel alive watching sport. After the pandemic, a full crowd. If we win or lose, if this is the best representation of who we are, 
Yeah, but but like I mean, you're I, if, you're if, potentially if coming La- at it from a different angle. If though. La Rochelle beat Leinster in an absolutely cracker of a cup final, mm-hmm. I think Leinster fans should still feel we've been alive. This is the best representation that we've ever seen from an Irish rugby team. Like really, that that semi final performance was as good as as anything. And if if it's a crap match and it's an arm wrestle and they mm-hmm. don't perform, that's different. I, I guess so. Like I, I do think that in the moment, the journey doesn't matter, or the feeling alive bit doesn't matter because you are alive. Your sight, your senses are heightened, and that thing that you're feeling is is pain. How often do you feel alive? Well, I. I but you see, that's not what you feel we, in the we moment. Co- we coast through our lives. Yes, we, like on this hurtling rock, perpetually spinning, feeling nothing except well, dr- drowsy, except addicted to our phones and slightly overcaffeinated from time to time. Yeah, there's no meaning. Your, your brain is, is fried most of the time. Time is a flat circle, right? And then sometimes something random happens and you're like, holy shit, that was amazing. Especially if you go to matches. Liverpool have played, what, what it's going to be, 63 games a season. They're probably feeling a bit drowsy and overly caffeinated and maybe not looking at their phones, but uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure is uh, feeling alive how they would feel at the end of the season if they'd come away with one trophy. How are the fucking TikTok generation ever going to feel alive? How? By getting their brains being sucked out, five hundred thousand views it's on each completely TikTok. Completely addictive. Yeah, that's so, how you feel, that's how you feel alive. I think so. Uh, an addiction to something and that that serotonin hit. Andy McNall makes an interesting point about the match going fans and the online fans and how toxic the online thing is. Right? Like if Liverpool had lost those, if Liverpool had lost those games, you know there would have been some clowns going, "Oh, club's a loser," and it's like he has given your puny existence some temporary meaning. <laughs> Get down on your knees and pray at the altar of Jurgen Klopp. Yeah, like well, a little bit how I feel about Glenn Ryan, to be honest. Uh, uh, like, yeah, we feel alive again. Do you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because you beat Wex, Westmead by three points. No, because because it means something. Yeah, because it it has it it genuinely means something. It's not nothing anymore. It no, was I, nothing I for a couple of seasons there. It was like, oh, it's a long, it's a long L journey in the car, isn't it? No, that's, but that's the whole point. So that's what that's what I said a second ago. That you're coming at it from a different perspective to the Liverpool fans. You're coming at it for, as an Aston Villa fan, as a Kildare fan. Unfortunately Losers. for you, a, yes, a, a lifetime of losing. G- getting a, a win me to and, loss ratio better than one to one would be a good return for your season. Whereas Liverpool are operating at a much higher plane, and once you're in a position, you want to keep climbing, and you will never be satisfied with the journey unless you are an Aston Villa fan. And or, I mean, I'm just picking Aston Villa there arbitrarily because it's you. But I, f- I think for Liverpool fans, the journey, they've gone on a journey every single season under Jurgen Klopp. And it's about more than just a journey at this point, isn't it? Because they've put themselves into a pretty historic position. They're not going to win the league. I'd be surprised if they did. But if they came away with the Champions League, the Carabao Cup and the FA Cup, I think that makes the journey a special journey, as wanky as that sounds. In in this one instance, I I... I think that perhaps they do have the, in- the opportunity to become an all-time great team because any team that wins two Champions Leagues is always considered one of the all-time great teams. If you win multiples, you're like... Because like, none of the Man United teams did it, for example. This is the same team, really, that won the last Champions League. And if they do it, then they're like, oh, how many, how many Champions Leagues did you win, Ferguson? Oh, with the same team, obviously. You were able to do it, you were able to do it more than one. Oh, no, oh, sorry, totally different team. Okay. Uh, they're up there with the Milan team. They're up there with, they're not quite at the Ajax, Bayern Munich, uh, triple winning teams, but they're getting there, right? They're, they're reaching that level of all-time greatness. So I see what's on offer, but I also would argue that the whole point of this, the whole point of like 
falling in love with the sport as a child and then following it through and spending all your money and all your time thinking about nothing but football is, is for moments where your team are in it and sometimes you lose because that's the game. I, and I do think that people who aren't Liverpool fans would be insanely jealous of what Liverpool are experiencing right now regardless of how many trophies they win and, and that is the journey they're on. I'm just making the point that you, you can't mask the disappointment if it doesn't happen for them in the, the big moments by saying that it's disappointment that it's is the opposite of, of feeling great though that's that's you know better to have loved and lost than never to have loved and you can't feel great unless you felt bad once upon a time or you won't be able to appreciate the high exactly and all the people who actually play the game say that that they remember the, the lowest moments more but those low moments probably make you appreciate the, the better moments all that more so it's the same for, for a Liverpool fan I suspect and maybe one of those low moments was Tottenham a couple of weeks ago but it was a one-all draw against the fourth best team in the league it wasn't exactly a low low uh, OTBM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day uh, Aaron Kelly says there's no way Jer is not just trolling <laughs> I, I mean I'm not I, I'm like Jer's gone away and found himself yesterday he, he took a day off yesterday and, and found his soul well, he was always there, just uh, just never present. It needed to be. Uh, it needed to be located. Uh, Noel says, "Charles, right? The journey is very important as well." Uh, Paul McGee says, "The point is a valid one. Not too long ago, Liverpool weren't anywhere close to competing. As long as we can beat the number one team, we don't have to be number one. Come on, Redman! It's all about the journey, not the destination." Says Patsy Ob. These last seven years with Klopp at the helm have been amazing. Win, lose, or draw. Does this season kind of feel like destination season, though? Certainly. What's up for grabs is is history. Like, uh, there have been, you know, there was a... Did Valencia reach three Champions League finals in a row or something like that? Two in a row, anyway. Like, if they'd won them both, we would be talking about the incredible achievements at that time. Um, or if Atletico had won two of those Champions League finals, then we would be talking about that team as an all-time great team. But that's what's on offer. And I think that's why this matters so much and I think that's why he played the B team last night because it was the right thing to do yeah also I, I suspected he thought that his B team probably had enough in the tank to beat Southampton which they did and uh, by doing that then you give yourself a chance of beating Southampton and of beating Real Madrid and winning on the last day of the season so I, th- I think it was just smart management and I think that in hindsight obviously he, he got it right although it was uh, I think even Jamie Carragher said that it was a lucky enough goal or a goal with a, stri- a, a fair degree of uh, luck attached to it anyway for Joel Matip's winner last night. It's 7.40. Let's uh, tell you what's coming up between now and 10 o'clock on the show. Busy show. Great show lined up for you. Uh, some top quality guests. Our GA power rankings are coming in five minutes. Tommy Walsh at 10 past eight. It was a seismic weekend in the hurling. We'll get his reaction to that and think uh, and hear what he thinks is coming next. Sports pages. We also have the uh, virtual insanity for the PGA. Is it? Is it? Is the PGA this week a little bit under the radar? Is it? Are you a little bit kind of? Oh, that happened quickly. Uh, Keith Wood at eight fifty. Phil Egan looking back on last night at ten past nine, and Carl Denny talking about Rashida Adelecki, who uh, is going to be a global superstar, hopefully, and is on the verge of it. Kieran Cuddy's sister had the record for fifteen years. No way. Yeah, Joanne Cuddy. Uh, I did not know they were related. All right, there you go. The name is the sur- the surname is the same. Sometimes, yeah, sometimes well, that can mean people are related. You know, it certainly can. Works. Yeah, I'm, I'm, especially in this country of ours. Did you know that Ireland is a small country? Very small. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, they are they are related to the the Cuddies of Kilkenny. Um, do do we want to do Agatha Christie now? Will we? 
I mean, power ranking. The power rankings can wait. People demand it. Power rankings can wait because yesterday I think was one of. Well, actually, no. I was going to say it was one of the more extraordinary days, but I think every single day kind of blends into one sort of uh, mold of the extraordinary. Yesterday was, I guess, the, the most the one with the most footballing tints to it, considering you had Jamie Vardy and Wayne Rooney in court for the first time together. It was the first time Jamie Vardy had gone to court. So Jamie Vardy knew he was going to court this week and still banged in two goals. Was it, was it Phil Egan out in the office or was it Cullum who said that actually this whole thing might be motivating Jamie Vardy that, that Phil said that this is all Jamie Vardy's master plan to try and give himself some sort of negative motivation uh, to have another bunch of fans hate him so that he will score more goals because Jamie Vardy feasts on the misery of others. Do you think he'll continue to score goals in League One and uh, and the like non-league up to like 45? He'll still be playing professional football at 45 scoring like 40 goals in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, he will be like Michael Owen embarrassing the 17-year-old goalkeeper. Right except for real. Except, except for real. Yeah. Um, 100%. He, he, I'd say he just loves scoring goals and embarrassing defenders and, and he will continue to do that. But when Rooney was in court yesterday and he said, me sitting in this courtroom is the first time I'm hearing almost everything on this case. This week is really the first time I've had any understanding of what happened. It's like when Rooney gets home after work in 2019 he's like, anything happened with your day? Nah, no. not much. <laughs> um, hey, Rio, any chance you could pick me up in the morning? So um, there was one kind of moment just before we get into Euro 2016 yesterday, which was quite interesting. Um, there, it was. It's alleged that there was another party um, leaking stories to the press about uh, Colleen Rooney and uh, Rebecca Vardy's agent, Caroline Watt, who's been one of the, the stars of this whole thing. It said, it's probably someone like Wayne's chavvy sister, um, Wayne's cousin Claire Rooney was in court yesterday and she said Wayne doesn't have a sister so I assume that is referring to me <laughs> but anyway you were 2016 um, Rebecca Vardy is to blame for the, for the Iceland debacle this was actually reported at the time which I completely missed oh, well, this, you, this yeah. is not overly new apparently but uh, it's uh, new to a lot of people so she was writing a, a column for The Sun by the way Rebecca and Jamie got married on May 25th that year this is a proper newlywed couple going into Euro 2016. Um, was she writing a co- co- or was this the um, secret wag column? It has been reported that she was writing a column in okay. The Sun and it was reported in 2016 in The Guardian that she was writing a column for a national paper. Okay. So the secret wag thing, I'm not sure is that out there. Uh, it, uh, she denies that she's she a denies, secret wag. Yeah. But it was reported in 2016. She might also have been writing a separate column. So yeah, yeah, possibly p- quite possibly. It. But definitely it's, it's on the record that she was writing a column for The Sun yesterday. And in a national paper as well, The Guardian, in 2016, referred to it as. So Wayne Rooney was saying yesterday that Roy Hodgson asked him to have a word with Jamie Vardy on issues regarding his wife. Gary Neville apparently was quite concerned with this at the time as well because of the column uh, and and because of the the, the real sort of prevalence of her in the media. Uh, Rooney said that England's players attempted to relax in between matches by playing pool and other games. And during this time, Jamie Vardy would regularly be in the same room talking to his wife. And Rooney said, Mrs Vardy was almost there with the team. She was on FaceTime a lot. He said that he knew it was an awkward subject, so I needed to speak to Mr Vardy and speak to, uh, to, speak to his wife and ask uh, him to calm his wife down. I remember the conversation I had with Jamie. He said, it was a bit awkward for me to have to speak with a teammate regarding his wife. I sat down with Jamie Vardy and he had a coffee. It was such an awkward moment. And uh, Vardy's barrister questioned Rooney on this. Ask his wife to calm down. She wasn't dancing on tables. And Rooney replied... No, she wasn't, as far as I'm aware. Uh, And Rebecca Vardy then told the court that her husband Jamie insists he never had a chat with Wayne Rooney about her media activities causing trouble for the England squad. Rooney 
hit back saying he 100% had a chat. If he wants to relay it back to his wife, that's entirely his business. And then Jamie Vardy, outside court yesterday, said that Rooney was talking nonsense. So this whole thing is disputed, both in court and outside court. So presumably they're going to stick Jamie Vardy on the stand. You would like to think so if he said something like that. Now, tomorrow's the final day of this. We've got a day off today. Uh, unfortunately like all the reporters covering this are like why are people reading my stuff like I mean they're, they're almost shamefully you know reporting it and while getting loads of Twitter followers in the, the, the period of it so they've got a day off um, from the court reporting yesterday there's a, a line in the Guardian saying the Vardys sat on the front bench a metre away from the Roonies the two women occasionally glanced sideways at each other while their two husbands largely avoided eye contact and a sketch artist pretty much nailed this side eye as we can see here <laughs> from uh, is that Vardy? Yeah. No, that must be our barrister, is it? That doesn't look anything like him. Uh, I, 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 see, I don't think actually that's a bad job of Jamie Vardy. Vardy. Okay, right. Um, Wait, what, what colour is his hair at the moment? I, I actually don't know. <laughs> is his hair not much fairer than that? Is there not a bit of fair in his hair? Maybe just the, the dye in, in, in the past has like lodged itself in my brain. She, she didn't have that colour crayon available yesterday. And uh, speaking of which... Uh, this has been obviously a great uh, exhibition of entertainment. It's been a, a really intriguing story over the last little while, but this has also been a great exhibition of art o- over the, the last oh, week yeah. or so. Well, and I've, I've picked out my top five art moments from the trial so far, the top five sketches of Wayne Rooney. It's of the same sim- same quality as um, the various statues that are being created around the world of other human beings that look nothing like the human beings. And then remember that, that Italian woman touched up the artwork and ruined it? Remember that story? <laughs> Yeah. That's the the bang of her. She she's been drafted in to be the exclusive <laughs> sketch artist for. Um, I think that's uh, complete slander on this artist. I would disagree wholeheartedly. Uh, these are my top five favorite uh, depictions of Wayne Rooney over the last couple of weeks. And at number five is uh, this the uh, <laughs> definition of neoclassicism? I think uh, we can all agree. Just a, a beautiful uh, shot of Wayne Rooney there. He's Sixty. At number four, we have this, uh, which is a modern Baroque at its best. The greatest artists of the 17th and 18th centuries would be spinning in their grave with glee, looking at this and a sense of pride. Number three is this one. They say conceptual art is dead, but it's made a comeback during this trial. Just look at that charcoal work. Absolutely exceptional. Number two, then, is expressionism at its finest. Looks like uh, Brian McLaren, when he was sitting in the studio here. The art houses uh, of the early, what was it, 20th century in Austria and Germany. That movement has made its way to the courthouse. I like that. In London. And they've inspired this artist's work. And then in at number one, we have this surrealist piece. Just look at that pencil work. It's Mike Tyson. It accentuates the sheer size and baldness of the head of the subject. <laughs> uh, very Irish looking. Um. <laughs> The second last one was kind of like um, Eastern. That's sort of yeah. That kind of uh, that's what that's kind of what I was saying. It definitely got a, a vibe of standing in a museum while somewhere in Austria off it. Um, yeah. If you want to get in touch this morning, oh eight seven nine one eighty one eighty is the WhatsApp number. That's today's update on the Wag of the Christie trial. Yeah, we'll be back to that one. Um, it'll actually be Monday. Really, we might not get the chance to do it again because the next day will be Friday. Not the next day will be tomorrow, which is Thursday. Today is Wednesday. Oh my God, what a week. <laughs> you can follow off the ball across all our social platforms. Be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download the OTB Sports app. There's only, like when you have one of those spiritual breakthroughs in your life, there's only so much more that you can take in a week. <laughs> you kind of need to just lie down and sit, sit down afterwards and let it kind of... <laughs> Imagine how the Liverpool fans feel on their journey. 
Well, I'd say they're absolutely dead. Uh, OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Um, we should very briefly talk about the stuff that happened last night, which was the Sheffield United captain, Billy Sharp. I don't know if you've seen this yet, but... Uh, in the aftermath of the penalty shootout, Sheffield United get beaten. There's a pitch invasion by the Nottingham Forest fans. They're going to Wembley for the, the championship final. And he gets blindsided and headbutted by uh, one of the Nottingham Forest fans who runs onto the pitch and then runs away. Um, you can kind of just see it. And the, there's a bit of video there we can keep showing. You can just keep showing because it's very hard to make out the first time you see it. This video has been taken down in, in uh, the UK, by the way, because he's been charged this morning. We're okay to show it here, but um, it's on the very bottom of the screen if you kind of follow the uh, the yellow coming in from the right-hand side and then he just explodes into Billy Sharp, who's had stitches this mo- uh, in the immediate aftermath of the game. And, uh, you know, So it did significant damage to him. Um, and I think... Pitch invasions, generally, we, we up to this point would have think, thought pitch invasions are great. We love them. They're like this mass outpouring of joy. But that was just a mass outpouring of scumbaggery. Mm. Yeah, B- Billy Sharp played for Forrest at one point, so you could suggest maybe it was a bit of a, a targeted attack on him. I know the police have arrested somebody uh, this morning. be interesting to see what sort of knock-on impact it has on Forrest. Like, is it going to be a, a, an immediate setback for them before their final? I suspect not. Um, unless they're like denied the opportunity to bring fans to Wembley, I mean they won't do that because they'll say it'll ruin the game. But they, they, there should be there should be something that is massively punitive and not financial. They should punish the fans for this behaviour and like no away fans at games for Forest in whatever division they're in next season for the first ten games. Something to go. You guys need to police this, right? Mm-hmm. You, you want us to treat you with respect, you know, like. Billy Sharp got assaulted on the pitch yesterday. You know, like it's um, like whoever it is that's that's done it, and whatever fan group they are, like will will surely be be punished in this regard. And it's, the fact that it's caught on camera as well is not going to help their case whatsoever. It's, um, it's yeah, it's pretty embarrassing to be honest. Uh, the football pod are going on the road. The Royal Theatre Castle Bar on Thursday, June the second. Tickets are on sale now. Go to otbsports.com forward slash events to get yours today, and stay tuned to OTB for details on more shows to come. To be with a chance to win. Uh, tell us who's this Donegal legend with strong Celtic links Iran played last night they're playing Portugal and, and a lot of the stuff that's going on you know that this is in or out you know it's cut or thrust uh, who is that um, if you want to win a pair of tickets to the show comment wherever you're watching or tweet your answer to at off the ball AM it is 7.52 uh, John O'Leary asks it's Jers feeling alive is Jarvis feeling alive watching a team losing a final just him preparing for Kildare's hammering in a Leinster final? Yeah, good question actually. Well, you know, if the uh, the massive population base of, of Dublin are back to handing out ceremonial beatings, whoopings to everybody again, that's not good for the game. I've, I mean, we've been long been an advocate of splitting Dublin on this show all the way back. Fairly sure on the first or second day that Off the Ball went live in 2002, when we were just a Dublin show, one of the first items was, should Dublin be split? Almost certain we talked to GA President Sean Kelly about that. I was like, well, yeah, it's definitely worth considering. So we've been talking about this a long time. The, ma- the massive population base of Dublin, who, of course, you're uh, like a place with, what is it, one and a half million people. You've made the point in the show that it would be embarrassing if Kerry didn't win the All-Ireland this year with their puny population base of what is it 150,000 people 
So, Kerry, so if Kerry played Kildare in the morning, Kerry could, rightfully, Kerry could rightfully say that Kildare have a massive population base, well over 200,000 people in your county. 198, I think. But go on, yeah. I, I don't know. I think Nace is rapidly expanding as we speak right now. I think a, a new 10,000 people have popped in to Nace this morning. Um, so, yeah, I wouldn't be complaining about population bases if I were you. Um, Dublin is still bigger than Kildare, I will say. I mean, come on, you know, the game is is, is rigged. Everybody knows the dice is loaded. Right, it is uh, 7.54, time for the power rankings. So many critics, these pundits. I absolutely adore them, lads. I have unbelievable time from, but they're they're a great bunch, but it's not acceptable. They like to play the hard man when when they're on it. It's not very pleasant when you're trying to manage a team. All you're looking for is a bit of civility and a bit of decency, but they just dismiss you like, like, you know, you have nothing to do with the bloody occasion. Okay, Owen. We haven't done these in a while, actually, the uh, power rankings. I guess you don't really need to update something that's so perfect and flawless with uh, great regularity, but let's do it anyway. After the league, what page would Derry on? Page three? No, page two. You sure? Yeah, definitely. Like, I mean, they were definitely a top ten, ele- top eleven did team you not, in the country. Did you not punish them for their... They obviously were periodising. Good start to the league. Don't give a shit about getting promotion... Another preseason happened, all in preparation for what's happening now. Did I punish them for that? You, you did. You definitely they they got like booted down. Yeah, they got booted down below Galway and Roscommon because I thought at that time Galway and Roscommon were better than Derry. But as it turns out, Derry are now better than Galway and Roscommon. Had the turntables have turned. Yeah, that tends to happen with sports. Things change. <laughs> like, Come on, let's get into it. Uh, number thirty-two is Waterford. Are Saints, these are Waterford. these all are these all dead now? Are these, is this who's going to win the Talton Cup? Or how is this? What what do these now mean? It means who is the best county in Ireland, and um, I'm ranking them. Some of these counties play the Talton Cup. Some it's now, it's now breaking, broken into two separate tournaments, like the SPL. Yeah, it is. But I can put I them never all understand together. how the SPL works this stage of the season. Like, well, how did that? They play each other three times. It's also been the Scottish Premiership for like ten years at this point. Home and away, and something else. I am an inclusive and all about integration on the power rankings, and we are bringing the Talton Cup and the Sam Maguire together. No elitism here. Uh, Waterford staying put. They're playing this weekend against Wicklow in the Talton Cup in the preliminary round. Carlo staying put at number 31. I don't think we've been on since they lost by 15 points to Louth. London staying put uh, at number 30. Leash still at 29. And then our first movers are uh, Leitrim and Sligo swapping places. Leitrim down to 28. and Sorry, Leitrim down to 28. Sorry, yeah. Sligo up to 27. Just think that the magnitudes of the defeats uh, kind of allowed that leapfrogging to happen. Longford in at number 26 and then Antrim in at number 25. Offaly are 24. They've got an opportunity for revenge against Wexford this weekend. John Mahon said that we've only got one guy who opted out of the squad and it wasn't because of the Talton Cup. He felt he wasn't getting sufficient game time and then he proceeded to name the player in the, the <laughs> meeting. <laughs> um, Joey O'Connor was the guy I was referring to there. The others were fantastic. <laughs> Like what, a, what, a, what a way to throw one player under the bus. He's <laughs> like, what? So they lost by three points to Wexford in uh, the championship in the Sam Maguire race. So as I say, I, we'll be doing our quick picks on Friday. I know Offaly are behind Wexford in the power rankings, but I might just be tipping uh, Wexford to get beaten this time, especially given the, the magnitude of the defeat to Dublin. I know it's Dublin, but 23 points and only scoring four points yourself. Um wasn't amazing and it does feel that this weekend is possibly even more important than the previous match between the two because they were both playing in the Leinster Championship game which as we now know Dublin are going to win at a okay, maybe not at a counter but they will, they will win Is it fair to say there's been any um, discourse around the Talton Cup like any hint of 
people being mildly displeased with how it's built up. Is it? <laughs> what, what do you mean? Like, would that be, if, if you were reporting on the advent of the draw the other day and it was your job to tell everybody on the news oh, yeah. what was happening, would it just be like, a, this is a great thing and that's it, full stop? Well, obviously not because the whole thing has been clouded in criticism. Would you mention that? I, I personally would. I, I actually genuinely don't know what you're getting at here. Well, Marty Morrissey did his report from Croke Park and there was no hint of Tomas O'Shea saying, we don't know what the hell this is, like, what's going on? Why are they doing this? Why why are they split it? We don't know if we're north or south. Three days before. No hint of that. It was just a... Talton Cup's great. There's really interesting fixtures like Offaly versus Wexford. Straight face. What? We just had that fixture. Mm. Yeah. It's anyway, like, look. Sorry, I didn't mean to, but... Well, no, it's like... It's inter- I was kind of like looking at the um, fixtures and the television schedule as well this weekend and... It, like I think maybe Sunday's Talton Cup game will be on GA Go and Saturday's maybe not. Or I don't know. We'll we'll see how the the week kind of uh, pans out. You actually you can't find the Talton Cup game as far as I'm aware on um, on GA Go as I speak. So I'm lo- I'm looking at the, the live and upcoming games here and the hurling games are available. The Talton Cup games aren't. So that I, I would have thought is like the, the the base level, just at least have the games available that you can buy them even if you want to. But it'll, it'll just be interesting to see what the actual live Free to air, or even on um, on, on non free to air coverage, will be over the next little while. I presume the final will be televised live. Will the semi finals be televised live? They said that, yeah. So um, that, that's kind of what we're expecting. But for me, I, I do think Wexford Offaly this weekend is, is possibly more important than the, the, the Leinster Championship game because they're both moving towards something that they can possibly win and maybe Offaly have a higher ceiling, despite the fact that they're behind Wexford in the rankings. Uh, Wicklow are in at uh, 22 again another team that begin their Talton Cup campaign this weekend they're up against Waterford they should beat them they could go on a run uh, and then they play the winners of, of Wexford or Offaly in the following round so this category as we'll kind of discover in a moment is this geographical place the south is, is much more forgiving than the north uh, as I say we'll get to that in just a moment 21 for Mana staying put and 20 is what I wanted to get to here is down a non-mover like Down maybe wouldn't go on a run in the Talton Cup anyway. Like, there's been a lot said about them. There there seems to be a bit of discord in the camp. Like, since the Monaghan loss, they've lost Caelan Mooney, Ryan McAvoy, Jerry Collins, Corey Quinn, Charlie Smith. They've obviously had uh, people slinging mud from the sidelines uh, quite significantly over the the last little while. And then, to make things worse, they drew Cavan in the first round of the (laughs) Talton Cup. Like, but the the, the dice was loaded against them, obviously. I mean, it was. Like, it it would have been twice as hard for them to draw Cavan if it wasn't. Wexford, like. Exactly, exactly. So, I have down... Down down versus Wexford in Wexford Park. Yeah. We're interested in that. If you look at the power rankings, and uh, of course they are gospel, uh, and do a a mini Talton Cup rankings, down are the number four Talton Cup team in it. And in a a competition with 16 teams, they'll be dumped out. They've drawn the number one seed. Yeah. Like, come on. So that, like, I mean, that's that's unfortunate for Down. Again, as I say, with the amount of players that they're missing, chances are they they would lose anyway. And they'll be fixed next year. Don't momentum worry. is definitely against them. That's a beautiful word. Uh, Tipperary are down a place to nineteenth. They were beaten by Limerick in the Munster Championship, but they're into the Talton Cup. Westmead, that would make second favourites for the Talton Cup. They're up to eighteenth. Definitely get the sense from their camp that they're up for this. They really felt that they had an opportunity to be killed there at the weekend. 
I'm not sure was that necessarily the case watching it I'm not sure how you felt if you felt nervous at all looking at the scores coming in from Croke Park it didn't really feel as if Kildare were ever going to lose grip in that match but still three points was all that separated them at the end uh, Lau down a couple of places to 17th uh, Meath a big faller this week obviously they're down to 16th after getting hockeyed by Dublin at the weekend and Cork are up a place to 15th I just feel that they're show and then their provincial semi-final against a very very good team was better than Meath showing uh, against a very very good team and as the well. 15 minute champions I mean it's more than what Meath could, could tell you about their performance so Cork have leapfrogged Meath uh, Clare State put a number 14 they obviously had their championship ended by a penalty shootout defeat to Limerick their Munster championship campaign ended I should say they're obviously in the qualifiers and Limerick are in a Munster final once again I think just a, a brilliant league followed up by a brilliant Munster campaign so far penalty shootout win against Clare six point win against Tip the problem for them in the Munster final is that that game is in Killarney so it's just a really tough place to go why is it in Killarney what's the a home away arrangement right. I actually I think it's like 11 it's 20, 20 years, years. Yeah. yeah 2010 I think uh, Cavan up a place to 12th uh, I would make them heavy favourites for the Talton Cup assuming everybody's hanging around and I presume everybody will hang around to try and get another trophy and uh, Kildare down a place Two eleven. All these people are now. All these teams are now going to drop a place because Derry are the ones that have shot in from the outside of the top twelve. Where were Derry? They must have been. They must have been twelfth. If uh, Kildare and Roscommon are down, Derry were uh, actually eleventh. I'm, ca- I'm calling bullshit. Derry were eleventh. No, I'm calling bullshit on Kildare at eleven. Go on. They should be ahead of Armagh. You think? Absolutely at this stage. Yeah. Okay. I think they've played two games and they played well. Yeah. They absolutely annihilated Louth. Yeah. They didn't Look, you, you, you continue to disrespect us. That's, That's fine. It's interesting because we we'll, like, we'll love this. That's fine. What? No, no. Uh, uh, Shove it up your hole, Owen. Uh, <laughs> what's the? Uh, I'm not even going to ask what's the expectation. What's what's the fear level for Dublin for Kildare Dublin Leinster final after? Well, I mean, it was grand until Dublin turned out to be Dublin again. Yeah, <laughs> it was like, oh, this could be good. We could have a chance. At it, four o'clock on Sunday, it was. I okay. feel. I feel a bit like um, Tommy Rooney a couple of years ago when he talked us all into oh look at this great young team and the style of play they have and they match up perfectly and then it was like 14 to 1 at 10 minutes gone was he, but that was, he was talking about me though was he yeah a couple of years ago yeah, yeah. I, 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 I had done the same thing over the course of the, the league Kildare put it up to Dublin in Newbridge in the league obviously Dublin in the league were uh, not the same team yeah they had obviously given loads of players time off Armagh beat that Kildare team in the league yeah but so Armagh subsequently have proven to have the McGinney-itis uh, first round of the championship disease and maybe they'll come roaring back I mean, if they were, if they were playing the Loudon Westmeath if they were playing Loudon Westmeath I don't think McGinney-itis would be a problem it's, Okay, it's, okay. A, it's a slight fair issue enough, Fair enough but we should be ahead of them on the basis of the you can only beat what's put in front of you that is not a basis ever for the power rankings, as you know. The for- I, I will reveal the formula someday. There is like a magic formula here, which um, obviously makes these things pretty bulletproof. You ring up Hugh in the board's head and you ask, here, is this any good? And he goes, no. And you go, okay, thanks. That's it. That's the formula. I mean, I'll, I'll, we'll get our chalkboard working or get in a chalkboard and I'll go through it. I'll go through the, the exact algorithm. Roscommon are down a place to Spread of six 10. points for the Kildare game. I know this is like uh, I'm serving up and cooking up humble pie here when this doesn't happen but I'd be backing up and to cover that I think it'll be a shootout well look Kildare's defence has not been particularly uh, exactly. locked down in the game so far so exactly unless, unless they're concerned they, they, maybe they really pulled up against Westmead the other day and, and, and know that there's a bigger test coming and Glenn Ryan actually was speaking to him afterwards kind of made a, a point that you know 
we're going to really try and really go after this game this year um, because that's all you want we're year, alive last year didn't really we're gonna, like we're gonna, we might die at the end of this but we were alive until we were dead yeah. as opposed to like oh sure we're dead already and it, like, I guess there's definitely a bit of life attached to, to Kildare this year and it's, it's not it's not uh, slandering Kildare at all it's just the sort of I don't know Dublin just looked pretty ruthless in that first half of the weekend and, and, and that belief that they might cover that six point spread is based on the fact of what Dublin will do as opposed to what Kildare won't do but there are, there are still probably a few openings in that defence uh, Armagh are down to ninth obviously they've been dumped out of the Ulster Championship again this year Donegal beat them this time Tyrone are the big fallers we haven't done a power ranking since they were defeated by Derry by 11 points uh, which is definitely the result of the Championship still they are down to 8th place Monaghan down to 7th Galway move up ahead of Monaghan. They weren't before the Derry match, and I just think after what we've seen, I think Monaghan not getting punished enough here. Monaghan and Tron not getting punished enough. Monaghan and Tron and Armagh not getting punished enough. Like, pff, come on, Kildare on the front page, Kildare seven. That's it. Fix it for you. <laughs> uh, Galway ahead of Ross Common too. What? Uh, we beat Ross Common tomorrow. You think so? Yeah, we would. I'm not sure. Like, see, the thing we'll is, see. We'll see. We, we, we will see. We'll see. see in the when it comes to these Connacht and Munster teams, other than Galway, who've played Mayo, it's very, very hard to get a proper read on on where they are. Whereas, and the same goes for Kildare. Let's face it. Like, I mean, uh, the 15 point win against Louth. Meaningless was, provincial championships are sucking the, the draining the battery. Even the power rankings seem devoid of energy. Go on. Uh, Mayo staying put at number five. Derry, the big risers, up to fourth. Derry on the Mount Rushmore. Just go back to Mayo 5, Galway 6. Yeah, just we go, did this on the last power ranking, just a reminder. I know go, it's been a few weeks, but we had this exact chat. Just go back to that for me again, will you? Just go back to that yeah. bit. Where, what? Remember, I made this I made this point a few weeks ago that, yes. You're sticking with your erroneous, erroneous piffle. <laughs> um, I, God, I do love erroneous piffle, but I, I think that on this in this case, it's not erroneous and it's not piffle. I think that... Mayo were not the, necessarily the better team uh, in that game against Galway and Galway did deserve to win but I think that the, the nature of the comeback would send alarm bells ringing in terms of people who are writing off Mayo uh, their inaccuracy up front I think is something that they can address Where was I think the game? they have a much higher ceiling home field advantage a higher ceiling like, and they still lost I know but Mikhail Park and Galway in the last couple of years, what was it, 2018? Was it Galway beat him down there, and uh, and maybe another time as well. I was I was at the game covering it with James Horn when he wasn't Mayo manager that year, or whatever that year was. That the the um the, there was a long delay for an injury that day. My years have just deserted me. Doesn't matter. Um, okay, but uh, you're wrong, but it's okay. John Claffey says Westmeath lose and still move up a place. Such a fanboy, Owen. This is obviously some kind of soft Asian Barry. I don't really understand it either. Well, well, hold on, a minute. let me just scroll all the way back and explain this because. Um, where, where is it? Westmead again? Eighteenth. Uh, uh, Westmead. Eighteenth. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, are we are we not are we not giving them a little bit of credit for uh, you know coming relatively close to a team that Ger believes are better than even the form line? Westmead and Louth. Westmead are behind Louth, well, and like if you Westmead lost to Kildare by three points. Tipperary lost to Limerick by six points. Kildare are a better team than Limerick. Therefore, Westmead have to go ahead of Tipperary. Get to the first page. That's that's erroneous, people. First page again. Sorry. <laughs> Kerry number one, Dublin number two, Donegal three, Derry four. Yes, that's your top four. Looks about right. I, I mean, I you know we'll see Derry Donegal. It might Derry even more impressive to this point, and Dublin have gone from where to two? Just from three to two. Right. So you never never had them lower than three. Never had him lower than three. It was, it was Tyrone who were number two and then the Derry destruction. And it's not Kerry 1, Dublin 1A. It's Kerry still 
in a tier on their own. Absolute favourites. No, I would probably have Kerry and Dublin in a... No, Kerry in a tier on their own, Dublin in a tier on their own, and then then the, the third tier is, is how I would look at it. I don't think they're exactly at the same level, but I do think they are. Uh, they've moved away. Not moved away, but they're, there's a bit of a gap between them and the rest right now. But do you not look at Derry and do you not look at Rory Gallagher and just see a bolter that'll carry them all the way through to the middle of July here? Am I, am I getting completely swept away in, in what's happening here with Derry? The celebration after the goal yeah. is like, there, there needs to be a bigger meme culture and a bigger gift culture in uh, GEA coverage because like I sent you the video of Michael Stipe playing Slane in 1995 and I remember the reviews talking about him twitching like an electrocuted mannequin I was like Whoa. he was like he was like uh, Elvis or something an angry Elvis smashing a water bottle it's like I mean did he spit on his hands Michael Stipe? Did, does, is that what um, yeah and he licks the fingers spits in the hands I mean you know, sometimes you can't grip the steering wheel unless you do that. Yeah, it's true. Uh, like, it, it, Rory's at the wheel. It definitely felt like a bit of an exorcism when we saw him in, in those two moments where the, where the camera pants. And we need to get Rory Gallagher cam, for sure. And it, it just, like, again, I think I made this point on Monday, but it does feel a little bit like peak Donegal. And redemption for, for Rory. And the credit is going just to Rory this time. There's no Jim. There's nothing there. It's like, it's his... Creation and the players are backing that up, and they're 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 saying in the aftermath, like very articulate, experienced individuals are giving him some kind of kudos for what's happening, and you've got to you got to listen to that, you know. And I think in the build up as well to the game on Sunday, there was plenty of kudos given to Rory Gallagher. This isn't just a, a reaction to the Monaghan when I think the, the, the dairy or the I think Roman. we tipped him at fifty to one on this show. Pretty sure we like. I didn't that's, do that, but that's good bet. Yeah, but possibly but I, I didn't I, I'll accept that Derry can't remember the bandwagon uh, yeah sorry of course 50 to 1 just right. re- rewind Cavan could be ninth or 10th no says Cavan lad 100 uh, how did Dublin get relegated and go to 2 by beating 2 of the worst teams in the country because they've won 6 of the last 7 All-Irelands uh, seven, uh, seven, uh, 9 out of the last 11 is that it 8 of the last yeah, 10 9 of the last 11 you just made that up uh, due to the big gap between the provincial finals and the quarterfinals, there's a potential that some teams, for example, Tyrone, Monaghan, Mayo, are trying to time their runs to prevent a gap of games, says Ronan Harkin. Not on purpose, Ronan, I don't think, but I do think that like it, it's very possible that some team is going to go on a run and one of the non-top four teams there, obviously one of them will because you've got Darian Donegal, will end up in the semi-finals with like massive form and confidence. And I'd be quite worried for some of those provincial winners, especially especially. Kerry and maybe to an extent Dublin uh, if they get a bad quarterfinal draw just because of what Handy that texter um, well a relatively no I, I think that if like a Toronto or a Mayo yeah uh, like if, I think that there's a possibility I mean another on a quarterfinal weekend where Kerry were playing Toronto and Dublin were playing Mayo that'd be good yeah the, the, the qualifiers right. draw is, is next Monday there's like clearly two different categories to them as well so um, it would take quite a fluke for, for us to not have a heavy hitter in round one 12 minutes past 8 this morning here on OTBAM Tommy Walsh is up next talking about the hurling championship but first here's Michael Dignan on last night's show with um, the lads talking about restoring Offaly to where they should be see you after these was the pride in the Offaly jersey gone? Um well, I would have felt, you know, we were weren't in a great place, and I said that last night after the match. You know, particularly in Hurland, we were we were relegated to Christie Ring. That was hard for us to believe, lads that had won in Ireland twenty years before that, and you know, the football probably wasn't 
in as bad a place, but Hurlem, you know, was. And we were a very, very small county, like, you know, maybe 75 to 80,000 people. They divided, you know, into Hurlem and football. And then, you know, our playing population was getting smaller and smaller. And, you know, our club scene wasn't going great. Our schools, our games program was, to me, very limited. Uh, we didn't have the coaches on the ground. So there was a lot of things that needed to be fixed. And, and you know, I would have felt we had to get involved. So, you know, the pride in the jersey, maybe the, maybe the young people didn't understand, you know, maybe they were just accepting that we were where we were and we couldn't we couldn't go forward from there. And I always said from day one, you know, I might be mad, but I wouldn't be doing the job unless I thought we could win our earns again. Because if you don't have that ambition and belief, and certainly if I don't have it as a person, it's very hard to ask anyone else to have it. OTB it was an absolutely seismic weekend in the Hurling Championship and I'm delighted to say Tommy Walsh is with us to look back and cast an eye forward as well. Tommy, good morning to you. How are you? Yeah, good morning, Jared. All good. Uh, let's start with Waterford um, and I just want to make sure that we do give some time to Westmead before we wrap this up as well because um, that was probably one of the results of a generation. But let's start with Waterford, right? What's going on? Um, I don't really think there's much going on, to be honest, Jared, because if you go back... Um, like all the build up for the championship for Watford was kind of based on the league semi final and final where they scored five goals against Wexford and four goals against Cork. But if you go back to the, the earlier rounds of the league, like they drew with Dublin, Antrim nearly beat him, and Kilkenny beat him convincingly in Nolan Park. So, like, I don't think Atten has gone too wrong in, for, for Watford at all. Um, I think the their fixtures probably they weren't really suitable to them, like playing Limerick in their second game. You know, Limerick are beating everybody in the country nearly at this stage. And then coming up against Cork the last day, Cork, the whole country kind of criticising them. Uh, they're, they're criticising, I suppose, their, their will to fight to win the ball, their will to defend, their will to tackle. I mean, you, I suppose, pummel a team like that. There's only one way, really, they usually come out, and that's fighting. And that's what Cork, uh, Watford met on last weekend. It was, it was a Cork team that ha- we all know. They have buckled loads of underage medals. They have a good few of them have monster championship medals. So these guys... They are good hurlers. It was just supposed to add the other facets to their game. And they did that the weekend. So I don't think a whole lot has gone wrong with Watford. Like if you look at the last one of their best cornerbacks, Young Daly, in, in, in the first round, like he was probably their main man marker, very, very fast, and probably his inspiration for a team and a cornerback is putting in last ditch tackles. Young Daly was like that for for that Watford team. He's gone. And then you know, up the field, I suppose, in, in the Tipperary match, they had two super subs coming on, Austin Gleeson and Jamie Barron. They're there starting at the moment. And I just think, outside of Limerick, Jared, every other team, I think, nearly, that's been left in championships, nearly a 50-50 game. Like, even if you look at the Leinster games the weekend, or the Munster championship games coming forward this weekend, both of them, you couldn't really call them. So I didn't, don't think the whole lot has gone wrong with Watford. They're just unlucky the weekend. They had been scoring a lot of goals, Towards against Cork, they conceded two goals and only scored in one. So that was probably, you know, probably one of the main reasons that they lost last weekend. So we maybe overrated Waterford a bit ahead of the championship. Is that the kind of is that is that what the rest of us are understanding now? Go look at All Star selection most years. Most of them are picked on the All Ireland final and All Ireland semi final. So us as GA people, as GA followers, we kind of look back nearly on the last match or, the, or the, probably the second last match really when we're predicting the future or when we're probably uh, sending out all our plaudits. So I think when, when people are based their opinion on, on Watford, you know, going on and being probably contenders or even above 
Limerick in, in the standings was based on probably the league semi-final, league final, where they were absolutely wonderful. Scored five goals against a Wexford team that I think Wexford are unbeaten in the league at that stage and a Cork team that was really on, on the up and they were after beating Kilkenny convincingly probably in the last 10 minutes uh, down in Parky Cueve in the other league semi-final. So like there were people who were well within their rights to build them up. It was just probably they were, they were basing their opinion on the two most recent matches as opposed to probably over a whole season. So, but I think this Waterford team is still very good, Jer. But I just think that all, say, bar Limerick, I think everyone else is nearly a 50-50 game, to be honest. Um, do do we run the risk then of, if, if this Waterford team is very good but still don't make it out of their group, it's because the group is super competitive, it's like one of the most competitive championships in, in sport. Uh, like, do we need to draw conclusions about them or are you saying actually look that's the vagaries of sport they will come good eventually yeah I think that's it's nearly like Champions League at this stage like if you don't make the semi-finals or finals does it make you a bad team you could have just run into maybe a bad fixture in the quarter final or in the earlier rounds I think that's the way it is in these like you look at Watford's fixtures right all the pressure as you said everyone was building them up after the league final that they were nearly probably first in the standings above Limerick now, rewind back a couple of weeks, Limerick weren't enough to win probably any league games at this stage. So, that, and then coming into the first round of the championship in Welsh Park, their home game, where they had not won a single Munster uh, round robin game in the previous two years when it was based there. And all the pressure was building on them that they were the number one team in the country. But they have no other than medals, they don't have Munster medals either. So that's huge pressure for a young team, I think. And I thought they dealt with it brilliantly against Tipperary. They didn't come out with the blocks because they're playing the short game. Tipperary were ravenous. People are after, you know, putting them down uh, to probably nearly the fifth team in Munster at this stage. And they came out fighting after a bad start, Watford. Uh, they finished very, very strongly. And unfortunately for them then, they made a team that was after having a six-week break. They were on a high, Limerick, in the second round. And they put it up to them for longs long periods of that game and came back fighting the two late goals so I think there's plenty of character in that Waterford team plenty of skill they've won plenty of things underage um, they're league champions so I don't think I think it'll be very unfortunate to go out with this Munster Championship uh, Jerry, if they do this weekend because it's out of their hands now if Cork beat Tipperary um, they're basically out on the head-to-head because of the draw last weekend between Clare and Limerick like you know, so I think I wouldn't be drawing any conclusions on this Waterford team, but they would want to be coming out fighting in this last game just to, you know, to keep their profile up and to keep the confidence up. And, you know, at least if they win, well, then they've done everything they can in the last game when the pressure was on. So I wouldn't be drawing much conclusions, no. So, so if we were saying that Waterford haven't become a, a bad team overnight, I guess the same could possibly be said about Cork becoming a great team overnight and by extension, is there a risk that they actually don't get the job done in Thurles this weekend? Yeah, well, like it, everybody knows what Cork can do when they have the ball. It's 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 what they do when they don't have the ball. And people, you know, pundits, I think Cork's own people, hurling people in general, watching the Sunday game or watching the game when live when they're when they're at the games at the weekend, they, they all came to the same conclusion that Cork were not defending well. So whether that was tracking back, wing backs, midfielders tracking back, or whether that was, I've seen in a lot of cases, they would go into the tackle, but wouldn't make the tackle. So they were kind of just there, in and around. So that all changed the weekend on. 
Um, when they when like you say, Shane Kingston came on to so be tracked back a lad right as far as the, the the edge of his own square where his full back would normally be, saved a certain goal. And that's the difference in winning and losing. I know they won by six points in the end, but if they'd conceded a goal at that stage, who knows what would have happened. A game can take on a life of its own. We've seen Conor Lahan taking out a, a, a sharp puck out. We've seen uh, Seamus Harnady just winning these, you know, really, really tough balls. They won a lot of high balls as well, Owen. Which, and, like, the game has changed. We can all acknowledge that. You have to be able to play the game through the lines and play it long. But the simple basics of the game still have not changed, and that you still have to be able to win your own, own ball. You would look at Limerick, people rave on about Paul Kinnerk, uh, John Kiley, best kind of systems, best game management in the country. They're still probably the top team of winning their own ball. And you go back to Cork the weekend, Dara Fitzgibbon was winning it, um, Harnady was winning it. So listen, they went back to basics, I think, Cork the weekend with the, you know, bedding in, you know, the new, I suppose, the hybrid game. They're able to play both. So, I think for Cork, going forward this weekend, they're playing Tipperary. Tipperary going to have a bee in their bonnet. They're not going to want to go through a Munster Championship uh, without without a win. And they even have the, the slight chance themselves of going through if scoring averages worked away and results go their way. So, a massive game for Cork this weekend, though, and with can they do it two games in a row? That would be the question, I'd say, Kieran Kingston. And it was great even Kieran Kingston getting the yellow cards. Like, I know, listen, you'd say you can draw your own conclusions, but it's still a sign to the team, a sign to the public. These boys mean business. They're going to die in their, their sword here today. And I thought, as a, as a complete performance from management right through the players, I thought Cork showed up last weekend. How much of an impact can that have on the team when the, the, the manager is showing that amount of physical energy? Like we're seeing it quite a lot with, with the Derry footballers at the moment and Roy Gallagher uh, kind of being way more animated than his opposite number on the sideline pretty much every week. Is is that something that the players take much notice of? Well, I think there's the standards to be set and there's a, you know, there's body language that you can display that will you know that this man means this man means business. This man is serious. And that could be the manager, it could be the kit man, it could be the it could be the corner forward, it could be the last sub. So what I would say about it is that was natural the weekend on. So Kieran Kingston, I could bet me, you know, bottom dollar that he did that naturally. There was no game plan of his. I have to show the last that I mean business the weekend. That was just him showing his he's a very passionate park man, as all them car car hurling people are. And he was just showing that naturally. I think when it changes, you know, when someone just does it for show, right? I need to show the lads here today and I'm going to jump up and down the line. That's different. It has to be natural. Like, you look at Davy Fitz, when Davy was over Clare and he was over Wexford, it's natural. Like, it's, 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 it's not for show. That's the way they are in normal life. So I think once you're doing it for the right reasons, um, I think it definitely has a, a positive impact on, on your team, yeah? And it's not just the manager, it's everybody. And it doesn't have to be jumping up and down on it can be just when you look into his eyes, you know he's serious, you know he's going to die. Like, like um, Lahan, I thought the weekend, like, this guy was dropped off the panel last year. He could have called back onto the panel this week, he could have sulked, he could have said, no, listen, I'm not going to bother you now, you're not, you didn't show me any respect last year. No, he came back, he's after fighting two and nail during that league campaign to get back on that team. He's still doing it, I think he scored three points the weekend. But it was even the, the, the hooks and the blocks that he's shown, that's inspiration to, to, to the team when a forward is doing that, especially a forward that you would normally display with scoring points, four and five points. Now he's putting in the hard yards. He caught out that sharp hook out back over the bar. They're the kind of small things that have huge impacts uh, on a team. I think Lahan as well is, is or not Lahan, Harnley, sorry, as well, Owen. 
like Harnedy is just like a, a man possessed and he always has been and in, in, you know Mark Landers you hear him he was shouting for, for, for him to be called back and you know push maybe centre forward you put your main men up the middle and Harnedy is definitely a middle man uh, I know myself from playing the wing you can be out of the game for long periods then if your team is going well like you can pop in scoring three or four points and it looks like you're going well but when the team isn't going well on and you're on the wing and you're out of the game it looks like you're you know what, what's this fella doing He's off his game tonight. So when you're in the centre, you're the fulcrum. You can make it happen in there. And Harry is the man that makes it happen. What did, uh, we've what seen did you, him out there on Sunday. What yeah. did you think when Horgan was taken off? Well, that what I thought of it was that that's a management that wants to win a game. That your loyalty has to be the, to the team, Ger, not the players. Patrick Horgan, and, and listen, you should have said congratulations to Patrick Horgan. Like a top scorer in the All Ireland Senior Hurling Championship, what a feat for for a man! Um, like he's up there. Like you look at the past uh, guys that were on top of that list. Yeah, Joe Canning, uh, Henry Shefflin, I think was before him. I'm sure Eddie Kerr, Christy Ring, maybe even Nicky Rackard. Like all the real the giants of the game were were, were on top of this list. And now Harkin, Glen Rovers, probably the second Glen Rovers man out to be. Which, you know, on top of that list, which is a huge feat for that club down 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 the in North Cork. But I thought it was for a management. If you want to win things, your life to be has to be the team, not a player. Yes, you can have a, a word with him after the game and say, you know, listen, keep it, you know, knuckle down on training during the week and we'll pick this team during the week based on, you know, you've done it in the past and, and, and I'm sure you will do it again. But the loyalty, first and foremost, has to be the team. And I thought the Cork management showed that on Sunday. Unfortunately, he was after missing, you know, one or two frees and, you know, he wasn't probably having the overall impact. Right in Tim O'Matney, Jerry, as well. Like, they dropped Tim O'Matney. He's been a mainstay in this Cork team for the last couple of years. And I know Anthony Daly was felt that Tim O'Matney is playing the half-back thing. He's more of a, an offensive player, up in the forwards or even midfields. Because you look at the Limerick half-back line, like Hannon stays there most of the time. Dimmer Burns stays there most of the time. Now, when they have the ball, they shoot forward, but they're not shooting forward for options, really. Um, from looking at it on television, and Tim O'Matney in the half back line was gone forward to you know he was gone forward too many times for 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 my liking for a wing back. So it was up in the forwards he can do that. Yeah, and he massive impact when he came on. Uh, the the conundrum for Clare this week is what do you do with your team? Do you go? all out to keep the form going and get the confidence high or do you decide that there are massive challenges coming very soon afterwards and not pick a full team what would you do yeah it reminds me back to watching the NFL the NFL's game um, Tom Collin and the, and the New York Giants they won the Super Bowl say it was 2007 it was probably his first one and um Going into the last game of the regular season, they were true. And I don't think by winning the game or the result would have any impact on their seat, you know, on their fixtures ahead. They were in whatever position they were in. And Tom Collin, who was the who was the coach of the Giants, he said at the time, I'm after telling these guys all season, pre-season, during the regular season, that you go out in every training, you go out in every game, and you give it everything. Don't leave that on, on the line. Do I suddenly go up to them before their, you know, this will be the one game before their, their biggest championship game of the season. Do I go up them up there now and maybe pick a, a dummy team or tell them, listen, go on, but take it handier today, we don't want any injuries. He said, it's not like a light switch. You can't just change or, 
your, you know, what you're telling the team or the messages you're sending the team in one game or before the most important game of the season. And he said, no, he picked his best team. They went out. I'm not sure whether they won or not, but they went on anyway and they won the Super Bowl. But that was his thinking after the season. That was what was going through his head. And I would say the same thing for Clare the weekend. Right, only one team came in the All-Ireland. Clare haven't won a Munster Championship since 1998. So they, they'll go out the one game before uh, they play the Munster Final and kind of, you know, run the risk of letting laziness creep into the team. Because if you do it once, Alex Ferguson often said it, if you do it once, you can do it again. So if Clare go out half, half-hearted out to this game this weekend, well, they can do it again then in the Munster Final. You're setting in a, a you're letting a, a laziness step in. So I would expect Brian Lawn. If you have niggles or Jar, I would expect them. You know, leave them to have common sense approach, obviously, and you'd have to leave them till, till the months are fine. But everybody else, if you're fit to play, you're you're playing, and you're going out to win that game. Uh, he's done some job, Lowen, under all of this, the pressure and the scrutiny that the row with Davy brought, and the national attention, and everybody disappearing last year through COVID. Everybody's back, or nearly everybody's back. Um, and the team is playing really, really well. It is. And, and uh, Lohan, I always, uh, you know, you could tell by the way Lohan played the game himself, but I was at the Clare game earlier on in the year and I saw there was, it was Clare and Tipperary, I think, wasn't it? And basically, the ball went into one of the guys in the forest. I won't name his name, right? And he kind of half-hearted went for the game. And I seen Lohan. He was, oh, he was ravenous. He was not happy at all. Within 30 seconds, that player was taken off. And to me, they are set a standard. That, and your man had been hurling quite well. And was, like say, an Ireland manager would say, listen, right, he missed that one, but he's playing well in the game. He'd come on, he'd score another pint or two. But no, he was gone. And to me, that sets a standard that them clear players know whether they're subs or whether they're playing. That I have to give it, you know, Holly when I'm on this field. And if I'm not... I can be taken off. It reminds me of Ryan Cody. It reminds me of Jim Gavin from Dublin with all them legends that he had in the Dublin team. The rest of the country wondering why they weren't playing. He wasn't playing them. And it just set standards, you know. And even um, taking off Patrick Park in the weekend, like most people might say, well, listen, geez, if, if we need a score or a free in the last minute, who's going to take it? It's Patrick Horgan. No. It, it, there's a standard there and uh, it sets. So I think that's what Brian Lowen sets in that clear team and panel and I think that's what he's getting out of them like even the weekend that's HR some of them didn't hurl as well but upstep Tony Kelly then and he scored, shoot he sh- shoot the lights out you know so I think different players are stepping up on different days but one thing remains constant their war rate their, their, their commitment we could really do like as neutrals with Claire beating Limerick in the Munster final to just bring a bit of doubt to the eventual outcome to what's going to happen this year yeah sure listen I suppose everybody likes him the underdog uh, no different than when Limerick won their first one, I suppose. Um, most people would have been shouting for him to, you know, to win their first All Ireland since since or since nineteen seventy three, and even what went on, and I suppose ninety four and ninety six with that great Limerick team that many people would have loved to see All Ireland medals. So when Limerick won their first one, people were delighted for him, and it'd be no different from the this Clare team. You know, they they came on in two thousand and thirteen. A lot of these guys, and it looked like they were going to. You know, shoot the lights out for many years to come, but we haven't. You know, they haven't been in around the house much since. So yeah, it would be lovely uh, to see Claire winning it. But as a lot of people say, Limerick can not, will probably be only bet once. So when do you want to beat him, Jer? That I mean, that is the question, isn't it? And like, 
even even down a man, they're still able to draw a game <clears throat> against a team putting in their best performance in maybe the last uh, since certainly since 2013. Like yeah. you know, would, respectfully though, would, would Alex Ferguson not disagree with what you just said there, Tommy? If they can be beaten once, they can be beaten again. Yeah, no, I, I think so. Once they're beaten, oh yes, yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Like if you go back to 2000 and the year they're beaten, 2019. Like everybody raves on about Kenny Beatman in the All Ireland semi final, but they had been better, I think, once or twice previous to that in the Munster Championship as well. So yeah, I I I'd agree with Fergie on this one. <laughs> uh, Jack wants to know: Are Clare too reliant on Tony Kelly? Yeah, no, I think they proved that in the first two games, Jer, that they haven't. Like Shane O'Donnell was brilliant in the first couple of games. Peter Duggan was brilliant. Um, Ryan T- Taylor, Young Mean that came on. So no, like even David Fitzgerald was scoring points from all over the field last weekend. So I think if anything, this the first three rounds have proven that they're not overly reliant on Tony Kelly. I mean, Tony Kelly is a quite game. Was in the first or second game, he only scored a couple of points from play one or two, but everybody else stepped up. So uh, I would disagree with that. I think. And Tony Kelly, I think, is the kind of player that he doesn't ask, give me the ball every time. It's if the ball comes, I'll shoot. But if not, it's a team game. And I'll, you know, everybody, somebody else can do it. So I think the difference in Clare this year, I think there's a lot of guys in good form. John Conlon is playing brilliant. Cleary is playing brilliant. Uh, I think the whole wing half back line, which is the launch pad for most teams, because they're on the receiving end of short book outs or long balls. That's young David McNerney. Uh, John Conlon and Dermot Ryan I think they've been outstanding in the, in the first three games so I think at the moment they're, they're playing brilliant all over the field A quick word about Westmead like we constantly talk about how Hurling is really stuck with the top tier and it's almost impossible for any team to join them and it still feels that way but results at the weekend like the Westmead one will actually give comfort and encouragement to literally every other county down the Hurling Pyramid to think you know, with uh, a committed group of players and a committed group of administrators and coaches and an injection of investment, we might be able to at least progress to a point where we can dream of results like that. Yeah, I agree with you totally there, Ger. And you know, my mind has probably changed on this over the years in regards, you know, the gradings of teams, whether in the Lee McCarthy, Joe McDonough, Laurie Maher, uh, Chrissy Ring and so on. Like, I think in this, like, and Westmead approved the, the, the weekend. I think we have to listen to the teams that we're talking about. So that's the Westmeads, the Leashes, the Antrims, uh, the Offleys. So if they're saying they would love to play in the Lee McCarthy Cup, let's let them. I know sometimes you'll have results that don't, you know, do anybody any favours, you would think. But if they're saying that's what they need, we're not doing the work in them counties trying to build hurling. Uh, you know, and some of them are they're, they're strong at football as well. We're not the guys on the ground. The guys, let's listen to the guys that are on the ground in Westmead, on the ground in Leash. You know, the Cheddars, the uh, and these guys. If they're saying they want to play in the Liam McCarthy Cup, let's let them. You know, because they're putting in the work. And Leash have had some great results over the years. Um, you know, the Dublin game, I suppose, springs to mind. But they've ran some of the senior teams close as well in in recent games. Um, Westmead. You'd say as well, like they're after a drama Wexford and Wexford were unbeaten in, in the National Hurling League up as far as the semi final. Uh, but go back to Westmead, I'd say when I was hurling, they were very, very, very strong at club level. You had Clonkill, you had Raharney, who was 
they're still strong club teams. So if you have a good base there, you can build on it. Like, um, you know, like Brendan Murta, Owen Price, I remember playing Red Red Cup, Shindy with these guys. They're as good as any hurlers in the country. And over a long period of time, and became friendly with these guys over the year and hugely passionate, just as anyone from Kenny or Cork or Wexford or Tipperary or, or anywhere. So what a, a result, I think, for Westmead the weekend. They took their chances, they got their goal at, at the very end. And, um, you know, fair play to them. But I'd say congratulations, because it's not easy. Now, they have form. They put it up to Kenny Jarrett for, for long periods. They put it up to Dublin. So this result didn't come out of the blue. Westmead yeah. have been hurling very well. Plus, like the beat to Kenny under 21 a couple of years ago as well, Jarrett. So, yeah. And listen, great. I think, listen to Michael Dighton there a couple of minutes ago there on your show. Like, what a result for both Offaly and Leash to be in a Leinster minor hurling final. It was a 12 or 13,000 people at it. They know more apparent than their night. Like, these are historic occasions and I think we should do everything in our power. As I said, my mind has changed over, over the years on this. I think we should listen to them and, you know, if we should definitely take it on board. OK, one last question for you about um, the Dublin performance against Kilkenny. Like, it, 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 you know, unfortunately, it was too like the league performance. We, we kind of hoped that the league was, like the, most of the league so far, irrelevant, but it turned out not to be. And it's really disappointing that Dublin haven't been able to build on the club success that Kula had and the time and investment and effort and energy that's gone into that team over the last couple of years. Yeah, you see, they, like, I understand Kula, I understand underage the f- success in, in, in Leinster especially, but you see, you have to look at um, the consequences of them being a major football in power. So when you're 17 years of age, you, you have a good minor you know, career, maybe even some of them under 20, but then they have to make a choice. Do they want to be a hurler or a footballer? And most their, you know, most top stars are probably good at both. And they're 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 choosing football. Like you take Kilkenny. If Kilkenny, some of their top players had to, you know, if they chose a different sport when they became 18, 19, well, the history of the whole county probably changes. Say if Henry Shefflin chooses, I want I'm gonna play football or I'm gonna play basketball, uh JJ Delaney, Jackie Turrell, say down in Cork if Patrick Corrigan or, you know, Christy Ring or someone choose it. Like the history of your of, of your probably game, your county changes. And I think that's what happens with this, uh, with, the, with the Dublin hurlers, that their top players are equally as good at football. And it might be only one every couple of years. That one could change results. Yeah. And if you go back to the result the weekend against Kilkenny, I was at a Ger and like for 50 minutes of that game, or like it was combat stuff. You wouldn't know who was going to win it. But the difference was Kilkenny's class of scoring goals. That was, I felt myself looking at it. I know it tapped on the points near the end, but when the game was there to be won, it was the goals was the difference. When the ball was around the middle third, it was very, very competitive. Anything could have happened. It was just when, like TJ Reeds, I, I was at the game in the stand out around midfield. When TJ Reeds scored a goal in the second half, I thought he hadn't passed the ball in. That's how fast. So that's a guy hurling since he was three, four years of age in the kitchen. At the, you know, when he's supposed to be eating his dinner, he's out hitting the ball off the, off the wall. Like, that's where you know that's where them it's a millisecond well, it's a millisecond that TJ Reid probably has seen the opportunity so many times that it's like you know a slumdog millionaire what did I do 10 years ago in this situation this is what I don't bang goal yeah. so you know so I think that was the difference just the extra bit of class scoring the goals like Mossy Keown's two goals were I thought they were phenomenal they looked like two point opportunities but no last second bang hopped it off the ground into the corner like even 
at the game, we didn't know where the goals until the umpire pub is flagged. That's how quick they were in. You're expecting them to tap the ball over the bar. And uh, I thought, and the opposite of that then, for, for Dublin, they were hoping to get, you know, huge success on the inside line. That's where all the space is there at the moment. And um, But the, the Kenny full back line was phenomenal. Like Mikey Butler, he's really after, like as a defender, he's all about a guy going off with the ball, but as just a defender, he's flicking, he's tipping, but all on the ball. And Tommy Welsh and the other, our young Tommy, like he, I thought he was outstanding again the weekend and Conor Delaney. So, yeah, I think the full back lines are very important in the modern game. All right, we'll, we'll get a chance to talk about Kenny a little bit later on in the season. Obviously, it looks like they're going to go deep. You wanted to give us a, a shout out this week? Yeah, so shout out this week, Jar. I suppose and this is kind of based on when I was young, Jar. I used to read this book, probably read it about 10, 15, 20 times. It was called Giant City Ash. So Brendan Fulham, a man from Wexford, who's write this book, and you'd be list out maybe 20, 25 players. Likes of Christy Ring, uh, Jimmy Dyle, uh, the Rackards. I'd say two or three of the Rackards were even in it, Eddie Kerr. But as a young fella reading, nine, ten years of age, what are they doing? Like, it give little insights into the greatest players of the, of the game. You know, Jimmy Dyle, used, I think he used to have a sheepdog. He'd go off to the sheepdog for the day, poke around the poke around the ball and uh, dog will get bring it back to him Christy Ring used to go off with his you know I lorry but he'd bring a hurl and a ball and a bucket you try and hit the ball into the bucket and these stories are inspirational for, for young lads and um, I just thought it was fantastic so my shout outs I suppose they're going to be based on their my giants of the ash and um, the say the third one up um, is going to be from the Tipperary the county of Tipperary the J.K. Brackens club in in Templemore and it's uh, Eamon Corcoran, uh, number five, uh, yellow helmet. He was just inspirational. Uh, when I was 2003, my first year, uh, and this is where my, as well, scepticism of video analysis goes, Jer. I was marking Eamon in, in the 2003 All-Ireland semi-final. And before the game, you know, the lads are saying, watch how he hits the ball. You know, it's your first year up. They're trying to watch where he runs, where does he pick up the ball. So I said, I'll do a bit of video analysis on him. And... Uh, so I was looking at, obviously there was no kind of sky that time at hunting. And so I was probably just looking at the previous game or watching the Sunday game, which I had to watch it three times, probably at the tape. And I had to watch it three times because first 10 minutes you're watching, but then you forget about it and you get totally <laughs> lost in the game. <laughs> so that happened about three times. So I think I gave up in the end. But um, went out to Mark Emanuel in that, in that semi-final. He was phenomenal. But talk about, you talk about Cork the weekend, the will to win that ball. Christy Ring used to always say, if you want to win a, a ball in championship, you have to go there with just a will to win, a confidence that nobody else is going to win that ball on you. Well, that's what I felt like Mark and Cork in, in that All-Ireland semi-final. And he was phenomenal in, in that game. There was, there was no bones about it. And you know the way to say, you know, you should never meet your heroes. And But marking him that day, he was everything that I was after looking at on the television. He was everything that I was after reading about. He was just awesome. Um, like, say, when I played interferms with, uh, with with the Bank of Ireland and, and I was on the same team as him for, for a number of years later on in my career. And, like, I played with players that left everything on the field. And you go out into a game, the last thing your manager nearly says to you in the dressing room going out is, leave everything on the field. Give it everything. Well, I played with Jackie Turrell I played with Noel Hickey. I played with Taggy Fogarty. From the Tullerone, I played with Stevie Marr. These were guys that you didn't even have to say anything to. You knew these are that's were going to leave everything on the field. Well, them boys were the best I ever probably played with. But Eamon Corcoran was just as good. 
Wow. And that's from playing against them with Tipperary and playing with them with the bank. And this this could be just a match in November against the army, play the army every year, in, in, in the Cora camp. Just gave it everything. You're kind of awestruck playing beside him because he gives it everything so much. And Brian Whelan then, Ger, talk about reading the game. Like Brian Whelan was just wherever the ball was. And how did he get there? He didn't know himself. He was just there. Eamon <laughs> <laughs> Carpen was similar. Because Car- like Brian Whelan was fast. Eamon Carpen wasn't terribly fast. But he was always where the ball was. Um, you know, Fitzgibbon Cups, you look at the Fitzgibbon now, I know there's a bit of, I suppose, but back then, the Fitzgibbon Cup was one of the main competitions in the hurling calendar. That it was a Fitzgibbon Cup weekend. And he got player of the weekend, player of the weekend, player of the tournament, two years running. That'll tell you how he how good he was. And the standard that time was it was next to Intercounty. And you know, there was no one off playing with your county for a couple of weeks, come back and play the matches. That time when you're a Fitzgibbon hurler, you trained with him for a couple of months before and and that was your club, we'll say, for for a couple of months. Yeah. And no, so my I suppose shout is to again why he's a giant of the ass without a shadow of a doubt, Eamon Carter and Tipperary. All right, good stuff. Good stuff. Uh, that must have been pretty intimidating for the army team when they're looking. Oh shit! It's Toby Walsh and Eamon Corkin. Wow. I'm going to play inside forward. Who are you marking? And hey, we we own Kelly full forward, and we's Key uh, Tiggins on the wing. <laughs> <laughs> but no, but who we were playing against her? You had Bonner Mar was playing for them. Owen Larkin, Paul Murphy. Um, All right. Yeah, yeah, it was funny. Uh, if you have time, the one funny story we did had uh, Chap Clear. You know, and he was on our team. And he was a great Kenny hurler. He was on Kenny Bannon for a couple of years. But his name was Chap. And, uh, <laughs> and he gave away a free around the half-back level. And uh, <laughs> the lad in the army thought his name was Chops. And uh, when he gave away the free anyway, the lad I was marking shows down the ref. Now, ref, that's why they call him Chops Clear. <laughs> <laughs> well, his name was actually Chap. <laughs> so, but no, there, there were great games, but the army, just we lost a lot of them, Jared. Uh, that was good. Like, Kieran Brennan would have been over them. Um, you know, um, the, the, the army team at the time, but um, no, there, 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 there were great games, in fairness. Um, who we played for him as well was Andrew Shockness. Right, okay, uh, wow, what a legend. Yeah, yeah. Oh, they were they were real games, like you know. Tommy, we we gotta go. We could talk about this all night, yeah. but, all morning, even. Thanks a million. That's good stuff. Cheers. Thanks a million. Bye, 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 this bye, week's bye. shout out from Tommy, a giant of the ash. OTBM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day at eight forty nine. A little bit delayed. Time for virtual insanity. You have entered Power Drive. Oh, wow! JD. Morning, lads. I feel like this has kind of crept up on us a little bit. Has it? A little bit. I suppose PJ was always the last major, wasn't it? And now it's the second one, and it's in May, and it's been an unusual time. So it, it is all coming thick and fast now. And the Greg Norman stuff. Yeah. And, and, like, like, were all, and that's all they were talking about yesterday. Yeah. Woods and Rory, they weren't really talking about tomorrow. So it's interesting. Right, what have you got for us? Southern Hills, Oklahoma, Tulsa... Uh, starts tomorrow and it is a par 70 it is seven and a half thousand yards uh, it's a long course 
but they've changed the course since it was last uh, host of a major tournament back in 2007. They've removed a lot of the trees. It's going to be windy down in Oklahoma. Um, you need to be a good chipper around the greens, a lot of slopes around the greens. So it's going to test all the facets of a player's game. Uh, the headline tip, uh, you've got to obviously you never, never gamble more than you can afford if you're getting involved. A lot of bookmakers going to fifth of the odds up to 12 places. Um, I'm just going to go with the best recommendations I can see. These are on otbsports.com and on the OTB app already now. Headline tip, I, I, I'm going to do this as I always do. Patrick can play for uh, 7.50 each way, 22 to 1. Um, one on his last start with Xander Schaffler in the team event in New Orleans. In the tournament before that, he lost a playoff to Jordan Spieth at Hilton Head. He puts very well on the bent grass greens. He's going to see this week. He's number five in the world. That time, Patrick Cantlay contended in a major championship. I think it's possible that he can do that now. Um, is a good win player, like is good on approach shots, um, has got a really calm temperament, and I think he's really primed to contend. Patrick Hadley is the headline tip in the PGA Championship this week. The second one is Rory at 16-1 to 1 for five each way. Rory is playing really well. Look at his putting stats, 66th on tour last year, 38th now. Uh, was brilliant to the Masters. I think that could be a, a, a breakthrough moment, that 64 to finish second behind Scotty Scheffler. Then was fifth of the Wells Fargo Championship. Likes the course, drives it long, drives it straight. Um, is beautiful around the greens with his, with his deft uh, chipping touch and his putting better. So I think Rory definitely can possibly this year break that eight-year duck for the major championship. Third one is Andrew Schaffler, the Olympic champion. 4 8 25 to 1. Shot a 61 on the final day of the Byron Nelson last Sunday. Has found something once again. Has got a great major record. Five US Open starts, five top tens. Has had two top threes at the Masters. The only thing that's missing is a major on a CV. He's a class player, drives it long. Has got a really good all-round games under Schaffler. So they're the three main ones, Cantlay, Rory, Schaffler. There's over 100 of the top, the top 100 in the world. There's the deepest field for major you can get. 156 players. You've got to be looking at some outsiders as well, folks. Thomas Peters is 160 to 1 for three each way. He's third on the DP World Tour rankings. He won against the class field in Abu Dhabi back in January. He doesn't like playing in the States. He was in the top 10 in Belgium last week. Um, if he's in the mood... He has got the talent to really contend here. He's been in the top 10 of a PGA before, back in uh, 2018, and he drives it a mile. He's got a good scrambling around the greens. Uh, Thomas Peters is a talented golfer at 160 to 1 for three each way. He's the best outsider of the outsiders. The other ones, Christian uh, Buzwaden Hout is 125 to 1 for two each way. Um, put the lights out last week in uh, Byron Nelson, was in the top 20, tied for 12th. Uh, was uh, in the top 10 through 54 holes of the PGA last year, um, is a brilliant putter in the top 10 in scrambling stats. He's only 27 years of age. I think he's a player they're going to see a lot more of. And the last one, the Irish Open champion of last year, Lucas Herbert, is 250 to 1 for a euro each way. A really good win player, plays well in uh, difficult conditions, which I think they're going to get this week. Uh, won in Bermuda uh, at the end of last year, was in the top 10 in Bay Hill. His record, apart from that, has been very patchy. But I think he's got a bit of guts. I think he's got something about him, Lucas Herbert. So the outsiders, Lucas Herbert, 250s. Bezuedan had 125s. Thomas Peters is the main outsider, 160 to 1. And then the three bigger ones, Schaufele, McElroy and Cantley in descending order, guys. Um, think Shane Larry will have a good week. Think the course is him. He's playing really well. Seamus Power is playing well. So hopefully with the Irish lads and Harrington as well involved, we're going to have a good week. Jordan Speed's Jordan going for the career grand slam. He's playing with Woods and McElroy. It's going to be box office television the first two days. And I uh, hope you've got a great four days of TV. All right, JD, thanks very much. All right, lads. This week's edition of Virtual Insanity. 
day 54 this morning the uh, football potter going on the road Royal Theatre in Castlebar on Thursday the 2nd of June tickets are on sale now go to otbsports.com forward slash events to get yours today and stay tuned to OTB for details on more shows to come to be with a chance to win a pair of tickets to the show just tell us who is this Iran played last night they're playing Portugal and, and a lot of the stuff that's going on you know that this is in or out you know it's cut or thrust uh, Donegal legend there strong Celtic links you can uh, comment wherever you're watching on YouTube or you can tweet your answer to at off the ball AM it's 8.54 it's time for us to turn our attention to rugby Keith Wood is with us Keith good morning to you Good morning, how are you? I was just la- laughing over your virtual insanity and wondering whether that ages you actually and whether you've ever worn those odd hats. Was, that was the first thought that came to my head this morning. There you go. Uh, it, it it ages all of us. Owen hasn't a clue what we're talking about. No, of course he doesn't. We're talking about Shemiroquai. Yeah, do you remember? Yeah. Who, who did I see? Oh, there was someone in Eurovision actually the last day. Was it the winner? Was it the winner of Eurovision had a Jamiroquai hat on? I don't know. I think that if that's, that kind of places you in a different position altogether that you're watching Eurovision, but that's okay, uh, Owen, I suppose. Why, why, why does it turn you off, Keith? I would have oh, had you down I'm, as a massive Eurovision I'm, fan. I'm, no? not, I'm not a Eurovision fan. Um, the, the only joy of Eurovision back in the day was listening to Terry Wogan absolutely taking the mickey out of everybody. Um, but uh, ever since then, no, that's gone. That's gone for me. A good, a good monster man. But uh, speaking of Europe... See what I did there? Uh, Leinster's performance at the weekend was as good as we've ever seen. Obviously, they have to get the job done for us to be able to fully enjoy it. But while the final is still to be decided, we should enjoy it because it was a level of excellence which we've rarely seen in Irish rugby, if ever. Yeah, I, I, look, I think that's a cracking summation for it. And it's not one wanting to put the moxers on it and, uh, and, and that they don't kind of go there and get to the... Get to the um, get to actually hold the trophy at the end of it, but their performances over the last number of weeks have been um, pretty extraordinary. Uh, they managed their players really, really well, and that's used as a criticism um, from from the British teams and the French teams, which I consider to be one of the greatest compliments we can get to the Irish system and to Leinster in particular. But um, I, they looked in control from start to finish, and and to watch a team like Toulouse, and and of course they retired from the previous week, but that didn't that wouldn't count until maybe the last ten or fifteen minutes of of the first half, and maybe the last half an hour of the second half. But for the rest of it, it was the manner in which Leinster were playing. Um, look, I, I was reflecting on it for a couple of things. One, I was. Um, I was being particularly protective of Johnny Sexton two or three years ago and maybe protective of the number 10 jersey in Ireland, knowing that we weren't getting players through the system, um, that we were having some players there, but none of them were able to oust him. And and I would have said two or three years ago, he was at risk of getting um, smashed and knocked out of all kilter, if we're honest. But uh, the manner in which both Ireland and Leinster play is he's incredibly well protected. And for me, um, he played a, a directing role um, for, for for all the time he was on the pitch uh, of such a standard the other day that it looked as if he just turned back time. And he was, yes, he's not as fast as he used to be, but it was a commanding performance. I thought he was brilliant. I thought he deserved whatever plaudit he got. And actually, if... If um, Ireland and Leinster are able to continue to play in that fashion and protect him, we will get him to the World Cup. And not just that, and my fear was he'd get to the World Cup, but wouldn't be able to deliver 
um, at the moment he's delivering at the highest standard. So for that alone, it was wonderful. But then everybody else, there was there weren't cameos. Every other player on the field stood up. Just great. A, a quick question on, on Sexton while you bring it up, right? The announcement during the week of <coughs> the two midweek games uh, against the New Zealand Marys, very interesting. It means that those five games now in New Zealand offer both the opportunity for a historic victory on New Zealand soil of one of the three tests but also an opportunity to develop some players so I suspect initially I thought that maybe they won't bring some of those front line players and they'll bring a big squad but it'll be kind of you know slightly diluted first choice now I feel like they might just bring this massive squad where they do like 40 players or more and it divides into two and there's a midweek test and there's a, a, a test series but actually everybody gets to work and understand exactly what it's like and in that context Sexton probably does go on the tour maybe even Keen Healy goes on the tour like players who you thought well they'll just keep, keep them at home to make sure that they get as long um, out of them as possible but actually the benefit of having those two extra matches it just changes the whole tone of things for me Well it does if the squad is huge, and it means the RFU are, are, are going to dig deep to make certain they can bring um, that number of players. Um, but it does, it makes a huge difference. I, I'm a huge fan of midweek matches. And in, in times when uh, the level wasn't at that standard or the hits weren't at that standard, you can get away with doing a, with one squad. Um, uh, my dad actually went on a Lions tour that had 33 matches. And uh, which just, just kind of crazy um, to think of you'd have a 33 match tour. But um, um, I know those things have changed since, obviously. But the midweek matches are, are brilliant to, to get a sense of, um, of the history of rugby and that it's a bit more than a game. And when you go down to New Zealand, you're going to get a, a fairly high insight into that. But we do need to blood players, and it isn't blood them to give them a cap. It's to blood them to give them get them used to to um, different types of pressure all the time. And what we have seen over the last few weeks, if some people haven't reacted as well under pressure, but now they've learned from that. So it's they are the, those failures, if you want to call them that, are the areas where you learn from most. But the opportunity to be exposed against fast-running, very hard, very physical teams, uh, having to perform and turn up every couple of days, that gives you a huge sense of togetherness for the squad. So I don't know if they'd have it as two separate squads, and I hope there'd be some level of interactivity to it. Um, I'd go back to something that Don Lennon um, did in 1989 on the Lions Tour, um, and they're the only real comparators uh, to having midweek matches at the moment. And he captained the midweek team. And his the onus that was on him was he had to deliver for the midweek team so that they could put pressure on the team that was playing uh, on the Saturday. And that they every player had to play very well because there was a, um, a string of players behind them who were going to take their place if they didn't play well. That's a great opportunity for the senior and the junior players that go out onto that tour because you're going to be in a position where if there's an injury, you're in. So you're focused all the time. And for me, it's the, the first time we've had this big play on, on getting it right for 18 months' time. I think that's pretty impressive.
Uh, to go back to, to Leinster at the weekend and um, that tangent aside, uh, are there any issues that you see from that game and from La Rochelle and La Rochelle last year that persist or is it a, a different test that Leinster will pose for O'Gara and his brains trust and the players on the field? Look, I think an awful lot of it comes down. The, the, the one weakness where Leinster were last week was at scrum time. Um, if there was any change or if there was any lack of concentration at any stage. Um, and Toulouse went for certain scrums, didn't go for all of them. La Rochelle, I think, would do something similar. I, I Look, I thought it was a very complete performance because it looked as if Leinster were playing at a high level of, of aggression. I'm surprised they didn't target DuPont as much as Monster did. Um, they did a couple of times, but not not anywhere near as much as Munster did. They just played their own game. And it's a great sense of confidence in that to say, yeah, they did something really well, but actually we do things differently. And um, I, for me, there was a fluidity in it. Um, the concentration had to be at 100%. My view against Leicester um, the week previously was their concentration was excellent for about 25 minutes and then it didn't need to be. And I thought they emotionally took their foot off the pedal a little. And when that happens, not every pass sticks and a whole variety of different things can go wrong. Um, they still had enough and always knew they had enough to go up and win. Uh, they felt, it looked like they felt uh, on Saturday that they had to play at that level of accuracy throughout. And I mean, I think they left a few scores behind them. Um, and But I always think they're going to in the manner in which they play because they're they are playing percentages, but they are taking a risk as well. And um, I think Leinster a few years ago were playing percentages incredibly well and better than anybody else. And then they were stopped. They have to take the risks. And with that, some tries won't be scored. Some mistakes will be made. Um, but for me, it was, a, it was a complete performance. And some tries will probably be scored at the other end as well. That kind of seem like they're out of the blue, especially when you're up against some of the world's best players. I presume that they've sat down and analysed that risk-reward setup and said, this is worth it because of the scores that we're going to get. I Well, I think so too, but also, um, like, like um, Toulouse got a breakaway try. They didn't look like scoring for 20 minutes, you know, so um, Leinster were in, were in pretty much total control of the game. Um I, look, I like the performances of some of the players as well. I think different players are leading. Van der Fleer is, is just reaching unbelievable um, levels of performance. Um, uh, James Lowe is having an impact pretty much every single time he gets a chance. Uh, Gibson Park is unrecognisable to 12 months ago. I, I'm... Um, it's, it's a, I think, a, a telling element for coaches out there that sometimes you need to give players their head and give them the confidence to play. And actually, if you don't get picked, you tend not to play to performance. And sometimes when you get the opportunity, if you take it, he but he grows week on week. And um, I just thought he was phenomenal. And I, I think that's it takes a lot of pressure off Johnny Sexton as well, that there is another player that's making a whole array of decisions at different times in the game that it doesn't just sit on one person. And I think that's been part of that that change to Leinster. Can we uh, just take a moment to uh, worship at the altar of the left boot of James Lowe? Like, Jesus Christ, that thing's massive. There's a Gary Larson cartoon. Uh, so it's for a guy doing um, uh, arm wrestling. And uh, he loses with his right arm and he says, well, why don't we try with the left? And you can see his left arm is in shadow and he's 
his left arm is about five times the size of the right arm. Well, that's kind of similar to James O's boot when he does connect with it. It's an incredible relieving um, kick. I remember uh, mentioning a long time ago David Campisi in his last two years with Australia, he lost his pace entirely. I mean, it was amazing. He still had a step, but it was getting him into trouble rather than out of trouble. <laughs> um, but he developed a skill. He just practiced because he still wanted to play and he could kick a spiral with his left leg uh, down the full distance and and stay within the tram lines. He could kick it 60 yards down the field. He could do the same with his right. And it became an incredible um, and potent relieving tool to have um, if they were under huge pressure. And uh, we're seeing that with James always scoring tries, but um, he is the go-to guy to, to, to hose the ball down the middle of the field. So, um, you know, at different times, they're not under any pressure because they know they can kick it 60 yards. Um, the job that O'Gara has done is probably something that we take a little bit for granted because we, we talk to him all the time and at the same time we don't have a bunch of Irish coaches who have gone abroad and reached the very top level as consistently as he has done We've, we have a few right obviously um, you know Conor Shea Mark McCall they've, they've put together great careers but not as quickly as this like it you know he still looks like he could come on and kick some of those penalties he's I have is missing. Uh, like it's it's a phenomenal achievement for him at this early juncture of his career. Absolutely, and he still wears his bitterness incredibly comfortably. You know, he's angry with everybody. He's still bitching and moaning whenever he gets a chance, as if that's a change from anything he's ever had. Um, I look. I I remember saying it when he went down to New, uh, he went to France first. I thought, the God, that's a that's an interesting move for him. That's going to be tough. Then he went down to New Zealand, and that's unbelievably rare. And um, like we we'll find this out during the summer. But the Kiwis don't particularly care about anybody else. It's their way is right, and it's the best way, and they have the best system, and um, they're a bit dismissive of most. Um, but I could, I can tell you, so having spoken to some of the players, that the esteem under which Raj was was um, dealt with by players and management alike and fans, which is an interesting one to turn over down in New Zealand, they just liked the different input. And he was considered a player of with a high degree of excellence. Um, he was a coach that they wanted to listen to because he, he thought of things differently. He had a good emotional sense of things, which in a lot of cases New Zealand try not to do. And but they liked that difference, um, and he learned an awful lot from it. That's a very difficult, uh, unworn path to to go down to New Zealand, and then to come back up and get a chance and sit in the shadow last year, and then have to do it on his own this year. Like that's a very fast elevation. Um, I think he is. I think he's worn it well in his bitchy comments, in his arguments, in his arguments with other coaches on the sideline, in his uh, drive for success. Um, um, I think he's done an extraordinary job. And and it's quite interesting. We, we often talk about budgets and different things like that. He's gone to a club that is rooted in the community. So I think that's probably a very good fit for Raj. Um, but he's his own man doing his own thing. And... Um, Look, I think it. I think it's it's phenomenal to watch. And you mentioned Mark McCall. Mark McCall has done that with Saracens. He's been there for 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 a huge period of time. Conor O'Shea has done it in in his way as well. Um, 
it's quite public the way Raj has done it. And um, Saracens have a different structure, actually, for Mark McCall. So it isn't really all about Mark McCall. It kind of is all about Raj. And I don't mean mean that it's not all about Raj, but it's all about Raj in La Rochelle. It's on his shoulders, yeah. It's on his shoulders. And the structures that are there are about promoting the coach to be the 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 hero or the fall guy, that's a really tough place to be. So, um, uh, look, I think he's done an incredible job. I thought he got out of jail at the weekend. Um, Ohio West, um, or he scored the try at the end, but he he put the team under huge pressure missing those penalties. Um, and you, th- those penalties need to go over in those matches. And for them to do well, against Leinster will require every single opportunity taken um but the and I love the idea of 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 uh, of, of keeping the ball the 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 um the, that style that they have um but I want them to look inside to who they're passing to I there must have been 10 passes inside with no look passes that went um uh, that went to um to to their opponents and I, I you know I I there, there requires a bit more discipline required for that only because Leinster will exploit that entirely. So, I look, I think he's done an extraordinary job. Whether they're going to be good enough to beat Leinster, in my mind, you can't look away from Leinster being, um, uh, being champions. The only plus for Raj is that it's not away and there is that psyche, which is extraordinary. And I actually think it helped La Rochelle to not be playing um, in, the, in Racing's ground yeah. because it just affects it affects the French teams. I, like I, there should be a study done on it. Why is it that that's the case? Why is there? Um, it's like an imposter uh, um, syndrome once you play away from home when you really shouldn't be there. You shouldn't win. But um, down in Marseille, it's an incredible place. Um, one of the great places to, to watch rugby, one of the great cities and the enjoyment that you're going to have beforehand. Like that's some trip for Leinster fans to go down to see. So that's the only thing I would say that I don't think they'll be as tight as they were in the semi-final. All right, Keith, we'll leave it there for now. We'll obviously preview that final in plenty of time. Thanks a million. Cheers. Brilliant. Cheers, lads. Keith Wood giving us his thoughts there. OTBIM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. The football pod, final opportunity to enter this competition this morning. It's a mystery voice. Who's this? Iran played last night. They're playing Portugal and, and a lot of the stuff that's going on, you know that this is in or out. You know it's cut or thrust. Yeah, so the roadshow, the first football pod ever roadshow is on in the Royal Theatre in Castlebar on the 2nd of uh, June. That's two weeks away tomorrow. Tickets are on sale now, otbsports.com forward slash events. To be with a chance, you need to identify that voice. Strong Celtic and Donegal connections. Just leave a comment wherever you're watching. Uh, here's what's on OTB Sports Radio for you today. Emmanuel Petit at one o'clock. Uh, Koi Gig from three o'clock. Our retro panel is at four. Uh, you'll have to tune in to find out which one that is Inside Park Harrington's Gaff is at 6 and the show is live tonight from 7 you can follow off the ball across all of our social platforms be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and you can download the OTB Sports app to get the latest and best in sports content and analysis at 9.15 Phil Egan is with us Phil good morning to you morning lads how are you doing uh, if Villa help us out on Sunday Ger will be held aloft on Monday morning as Klopp secret weapons says Paul McGee Paul was obviously um, listening to the show as was Jurgen Klopp last week when we were saying rest your team the only thing that matters now is the Champions League and he rested his team like a gunslinger and they did their jobs last night and Klopp is a genius. 
Yeah, I think he, I think he had to rest so many players because of extra time. I know we would have talked about the FA Cup final on Friday on the kickoff, and I remember saying to yourself and David Connolly that I could I wouldn't be surprised if it went to extra time and. I also said it was the last thing Liverpool needed and that's exactly what happened and it was the last thing they needed. You think of Van Dijk didn't even play extra time, uh, Andy Robertson cramped up, obviously Salah was gone in the first half but it just meant that certain players were taken out of selection for, for last night. Now he had a few reserves but he didn't need to bring on Diaz to to try and win the game. I kind of The way it panned out last night is kind of how I expected where it was going to be one of those games where Liverpool would just get the win, but it wouldn't be plain sailing. And it was like the last five minutes where Southampton had a bit of a go. But I thought Kanate was was immense. He was the only outfield player that um, featured in the FA Cup final. Well, then again, he only played extra time the other the other day as well. Um, no, sorry, he played the full game the other day. It was it was Matip that came on in extra time. So Alisson and Kanate, but Kanate's been sensational for Liverpool this season. You think back to last January when they hadn't signed any centre halves and they bring in Kabak and Ben Davis and everyone's like, What are they doing? But they were holding out for, for Kanate and patience. Like I think Liverpool fans some, sometimes some Liverpool fans can get a bit Careful now, you're frustrated by be a, a lack of signings. Day. Yeah, go on. A lack of signings where Liverpool fans are what? What? You, Impatient? You, to no, what? You, you think like there's a player that they need, why not go and get it? But Klopp and his recruitment process is very much they have their eye on a player and you've got to wait for the right time. And Kanata is your, your prime example of that, is what I mean, really. That's a trophy in itself winning the transfer market of course and Liverpool still reeling from losing a couple of trophies last season in that regard Manchester City of course have already won this year's transfer window so could have been a quintuple if they just got their act together Yeah but see even that right Erling Haaland straight away I see people thinking Liverpool need to make a statement signing like they don't like Liverpool have finished this season stronger than Manchester City okay the City have signed Erling Haaland Liverpool will Probably, I, I would think if there was one position they need to sign another player, it's midfield. I think uh, they're a little bit light in midfield. We've, we've seen how reluctant they are to break their wage bill from Mo Salah. Yeah. Should they have made more of a pitch for Mbappe, given how powerful they are at the moment? Like, is there is there no world in which Kylian Mbappe could somehow have been given the transfer fee up front and, like, your weekly wage is the same Signing as... Signing on fee is actually... Yeah. Or, well... Like six years' wages, I'm going to give you 80 million in one go, while paid over the usual installment plan. Doesn't feel very Liverpool. That is there no way that the could have made that work? I mean, I think you have to trust what Jurgen Klopp wants to do, and you know he could think if you bring in Mbappe, an amazing player, but if everyone knows that he's on double or treble the money, does that cause? a disharmony in the in the changing room. Now people would say if Mbappe's banging in thirty goals a season it wouldn't make a difference. But I think you have to just trust what Jurgen Klopp is is doing. And the fact that he Klopp I always felt Klopp was the most important contract that if Mo Salah doesn't sign the new contract, then you gotta trust Jurgen Klopp to get it right whether he says right, let Salah leave in a free next summer or replace him this summer. You have to trust what Jurgen Klopp is going to do because he's proven over the last few years that he knows what he's doing. He's, he's a pretty good manager. Peter Ram in the comments, is Matip up there as one of the best free signings in the last 15 years? He certainly is. And I think 
he was almost written off because of his injury profile. And that's been key to Liverpool's success this season is the fact that he's been available for most of the season, where you think last season he um, you know, he was one of the last of the senior fit centre-halves to, to get injured. And then that was pretty much it. Liverpool finished the season with, with Phillips and Williams as their, their centre-halves. But now Klopp is a dilemma. Who does he pick for the Champions League final beside Van Dijk? Is it Matip or Kanate? But Liverpool fans are in a position where it doesn't matter. They don't... Like they'd be thinking, okay, that's an interesting choice, but there won't there won't be an outrage if Kanate is picked. There won't be an outrage if Matip is 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 picked in the in the Champions League final. So that kind of says where the, where they're at strength wise at, at centre half. In the ad break, we had uh, a clip from Kenny Cunningham ages ago talking about Steven Gerrard wearing the Liverpool jersey under his suit like Clark Kent, and so obviously the you know it's how Hollywood would it be for him to do something at the weekend for his team for Philip Coutinho to do something at the weekend Stephen asks can Stephen Gerrard finally win a Premier League for Liverpool roll on Sunday the thing like a comment on the fact that like that's um, that clip was done ages ago I've heard that roll in so many ads and it's uh, quite prophetic obviously it doesn't feel so now but if you went back a couple of months it was the Tottenham game um, that, that could have been the one that could have derailed Liverpool and then similarly for, for uh, Manchester City then you were potentially looking at West Ham last weekend more than uh, Aston Villa and I know that that was half the job done but um Maybe Aston Villa was always going to be the fixture that Liverpool fans would have been most excited about from Manchester City's perspective, but the narrative is, has lined up absolutely beautifully. That's it, it really has. I, I was watching the game last night and when Nathan Redmond scored, I just thought, are Southampton going to deprive us of the, the days build, few days of build-up of can Steven Gerrard get a result for Aston Villa I mean, at the Etihad? Uh, like... We, we were talking about this outside in the office, Phil. Like, can Liverpool not offer the city of Liverpool not offer the city of Birmingham some inducement, something? <laughs> what the Kylian Mbappe money that they've saved can just go to building a new community centre in Birmingham or something? Yeah, I mean, a community centre is pretty boring. Like, we want something, <laughs> a hotel. We want something completely Radisson. like a statue of the devil or something. Something that you're not going to spend your own money on. Right? Well, look, I personally, I think Phil, Kenny Cunningham. What was the, what was the statue in Ennis Diamond? Whatever that one was. I, I don't think Villa if if people think Villa are going to roll over I don't think that's the case I think Gerrard obviously is looking to hit the ground running next season in his first full season in charge so there's going to be players there playing for their, their futures and we know Villa are going to have money in the summer they've already secured the services of Coutinho so Gerrard can be telling his squad was like you know this is just a sign of what's to come do you want to be part of this here's a chance to show me that you're good enough to go to the home of the, the current champions, the team that could be the Premier League champions by the end of play, show me what you got. And it's up to, to Villa to see can they do it. The thing is, and with a lot of these... Like, here's a million quid each. I've just, <laughs> I've just Googled a statue and a statement. I've never seen this before. Oh, no. <laughs> All right. What, what is it, a statue of again? A headline on our central sinister statue of mythical Irish creature put on hold in County Clare it's uh, a puka of Ennis Diamond's oh, yeah. sculpture which was uh, put on hold as a result of the, backlash the, the mob and Ennis Diamond were not having that holy they, God, they banned it from their town this is absolutely terrifying yeah which Villa player will be in statue form outside Anfield if they um, could do Liverpool a favour Stevie G well, I think he's getting a statue anyway probably yeah. at some stage um, but well this would cement things uh, you know I mean, how much does he celebrate victory? If if say he pulls it off, like, and what's what's the team talk? Look, this is going to be really good for me. This is good. I'm, I mean, 
I might get it. I might get my dream move if you win this game for me today, lads. You know, a, a little bit down the line. Yeah, I think I can see Jared's press conference. Well, obviously he's got one today because they play Burnley tomorrow, and, and that's a factor as well. And Klopp has talked about it—the fact that Villa have to play Burnley tomorrow. Now it is. Oh, now he cares. It, it, it's a home game. It's it's Villa's last home game of the season, so and obviously it's a, it's a pivotal game in terms of the relegation scrap as well. So I can see. Jared being asked about it and he say, look, we've got a job to do against Burnley. Maybe in his press conference later in the week when it's about the City game. Again, he, he was quite quick to nip it in the bud when they were playing Liverpool last week where he just said, you know, you want the headline that Gerard ruins Liverpool's title challenge. But, you know, I'm here to do a job for Villa and, and that's... That's to try and win football games. So I don't think Gerard is gonna he's gonna he's not gonna play up for this, but the other thing is Klopp's not going anywhere anytime soon, so this isn't really gonna have any bearing on whether or not he ends up being good enough. Like there's no there's no signs yet that he's an uh, international quality top five manager in the world. That's and that's the level that Liverpool are gonna need to replace Klopp eventually. So yeah. and, um, and in terms of Klopp and Liverpool as well. Even if they don't win the league, I think what they've done in the second half of the season, obviously winning the, the trophies and, you know, they could win the Champions League as well. But they've also shown to City that, you know, they're not going away. Um, obviously, last season wasn't a good season for Liverpool, but they still recovered somewhat to finish third with a host of injuries. And, and, and created depth. Yeah, and you think at the start of the season, not many people were tipping Liverpool to win the league. I think everyone, like, I always think at the start of the season, you're always going to go with City, with Guardiola there. A lot of people fancy Chelsea because Lukaku would come in and he was the, the missing piece and they were coming into the season as the, the Champions League winners. But Liverpool have shown that last season was, was a blip and now they're... like City must be just thinking, what have we got to do to shake these people off? Like Because... You know they, um, you know they were 14 points clear at one stage. I know Liverpool had a game in hand, and Liverpool have just. Well, if they scored a penalty at the weekend, that would have been. Uh, it would, this would all largely be moot. Yeah, uh, Man City were away to Brighton on the last day of the 2018-2019 season when it was this close. They ended up on 98 points. Liverpool ended up on 97 points. Liverpool won two 0 that day, and um, to create a little bit of excitement, Man City went to goal down. Yeah, Glenn Murray scored. I remember we were doing the. We were doing that game, and um, for thirty, I think about thirty or forty seconds, the the dream was on. Liverpool were they were ahead in the as things stand table, and Klopp actually talked about it where he didn't know the score, but he heard this cheer and he said, "I think there's been a goal at Brighton." But then he said, "Obviously, that that went pretty quickly." Yeah, City come back win, like handy enough. A few hours was- later, Chris Hewton is sacked. Yeah, I was fully sure that's what was going to happen last weekend against West Ham. That West Ham or that Manchester City were going to win the game three four one once they went one 0 down, and that's not what happened at all. So, um, from a neutral perspective, hopefully that's, that's yeah. Look, I, I think Villa will actually get chances. I, I, like, I'm thinking back to certain, like okay, the, the Bernardo hey, Silva scored one of the goals of all time uh, in that game. Am I, yeah. am I thinking about the right game? Mara scored as well in that one. Obviously, Aguero. Was, oh, sorry. I'm thinking of the the Villa City game. Was that, was oh, that Christmas earlier this season? Yeah, yeah on the the counter attack was brilliant. The yeah, volley, yeah, yeah. And look, the 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 grim reading for Liverpool fans is Villa have played City six times in the Premier League since they've come back, and uh, or they've they've lost they've lost every game. They, that that was two one earlier in the season. Jared was was in charge, but the uh, the thing about it is that watching the Newcastle game. And even the Watford game at the Etihad, City scored early, but 
both teams, Watford and Newcastle, had chances. Now, the problem is, when you get a chance against City, you know that you're not going to get many. So there's pressure on whoever the, the ball falls to. And that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to put it away. But Villa will cause one or two moments, I'd imagine, for, for City, given that Ollie Watkins tends to occupy a couple of defenders because he just never stops running. So he'll definitely fancy his chances if... Villa can create a couple of passes and, and create that chance to get a ball in behind but um, yeah it's still it's very hard to see City not winning that game Yeah okay we have a couple of minutes left to talk about what happened in the playoffs last night um, obviously Nottingham Forest are through to the playoff final yep. fairly horrific scenes afterwards with the pitch invasion which you know oh, pitch invasion is great and then it's like oh that's yep. actually awful Yeah and we saw like Forrest said it before the game because we saw on on um, Monday night with the Huddersfield-Luton game, Huddersfield win, and there's a pitch invasion. Actually, the bizarre thing at the end of that game was before the full-time whistle went, the assistant referee must know that the whistle's about to go and just ran across the pitch before the just before the whistle blows because he knew the pitch invasion was coming. So Forrest, all in the build-up to last night's game, do not invade the pitch, please. Forrest win on penalties, pitch invasion, and, you know there's always that danger something will happen and unfortunately it happened last night Billy Sharp gets blindsided with a headbutt now that guy has been arrested and I can only imagine he's going to get the book thrown at him but just awful and it just shows that if there's that many people on a pitch the players the officials management coaching staff they're so vulnerable with that many people on the pitch where like, I mean, I, what kind of idiot does that? Forest are on the brink of returning to the Premier League for the first time since 1999. This should be a euphoric moment. And one of your first instincts is to go for Billy Sharp. He used to play for Forest, by the way. And it, there was no, there was nothing that he said to, to suggest that he didn't enjoy his time at Forest. You know, he scored goals for Forest. He's a very well-respected striker who's done the business in the Championship for years. Obviously, had some success in the Premier League, and he gets cleaned out of it like that it was just it was just awful so I'd imagine there's going to be a severe punishment handed down in terms of the, the playoffs I absolutely love them I mean you're watching Southampton Liverpool you know the Premier League title is on the line but then you turn over to the championship and there's just that desperation like Gary Weaver by the way the commentator Gary Weaver and in the playoffs just it's magic and just the drama that it, it creates and you kind of thought um Somebody put up a stat before the penalties and I, I retweeted it and people laughed at me after because it turned out to be completely the opposite. But Samba had not got a good record on penalties, whereas Fodderington had a much better record on penalties and then Samba's the hero. He saved three out of five, did he? Yeah, his water bottles been doing the rounds on, on social media. Why, what was the story with it? All the, the Sheffield United penalty takers, what they do. All right. And, and actually, the way the picture is taken, I don't know if you saw Conor Howard's penalty, it's not great. He hits it down the middle. Samba just stays there and just slaps it away. But it looks like... See, the, the angle of the, the water bottle in the picture, it looks like beside Howran, it has S-T-A. So does that mean stand or stay? As in just stand there, stay there. He's going to go down the middle. Now, I'd like to see all of it. But I. Always, it, it's funny how the more penalties you take, obviously, the more stats there is on your penalties mm. so it would actually suggest it's an advantage 
the sample sta- space is bigger. If you're a one-off penalty taker and nobody knows what you're going to do, mm. whereas if you take a rake of penalties, they can do their their stats on you and they say, right, he's hit 10 penalties, six have gone to the right, three have gone to the left, and he put one there in the middle. Statement from Billy Sharp just in in the last 15 minutes. One mindless idiot ruined what was an unbelievable night of football. Congratulations to Nottingham Forest on their victory and good luck in the final. As an ex-Forest player, as an ex-Forest player, I will not let one scumbag ruin my respect for the Forest fans. Incredibly proud to be captain of this group of Sheffield United fans. They gave their all and can hold their heads up high. We will be back and go again. Thanks for all your messages and support after the incident. And then there's a picture of the team in the huddle afterwards as well. Um, yeah, as I said, like he's, he's a class act, Billy Sharp. He wasn't involved last night. He's been injured. He's obviously one of the senior players in the squad, so he was in the dugout in the technical area, kind of just looking out onto the pitch, and then he gets, as I said, blindsided with it. And that's, it's, so, it's so cowardly to do that as well, but um, it, it could have been a lot worse. What do you think should be the punishment? For the club? I think the club are going to get fined. Um, and then that guy, I mean, he's up. Like, he got arrested on suspicion of assault. And then I would imagine he's never going to set foot in the city ground again. But should he be banned from all grounds? Can yes. they do that? Yeah. I mean, I, like, I also think that like the club, you know, they need to pay more for stewarding on the night to make sure that there is no pitch invasion. Yeah. And they need to be punished for this. So, uh, so that the fans police the next time and go, that was such a serious thing. Like, I think they shouldn't be allowed to have away fans for a large portion of next season. Yeah, well, look, I, I'd say, I'd say the fact that Forrest were pointing out to fans before the game, don't invade the pitch, you know, you, you, it draws attention to it, but I, there would have been a pitch invasion if they didn't say it anyway. But they just hoped that their message would be heard. But um, yeah, like you see, you've seen iconic pitch invasions before. But I don't know. I, I think things have changed in the last few years. I think social media has changed things where people think it'll be a bit of crack to rough up an opposition player or something. Let's get it on. But this guy has gone way too far. Yeah, social media and cocaine—that's the problem. Uh, OTBM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Um, okay, that's all golf. Uh, Matt, um, what a beautiful day. I'm feeling alive, says Jarhead Odama. So there you go. That's all we need. Uh, Phil, good stuff. Who's going to go down? I think Leeds could go. Burnley, I'd say... If You're Burnley, coming off your Burnley spot? Yeah, like if Burnley get a point from their last two games... They'll finish ahead of Leeds. I can't see Leeds getting anything against Brentford. And are Brentford me, not finished? They are, but it's their last home game of the season. And there's a bit of history with Brentford and Leeds. Ivan Tony just um, just looked that up. And then Newcastle to me looked like the celebrations were the other night. Like they had their last home game. They beat they beat Arsenal. You know, Amanda Savey was there. Hugs all round. They rock up to Turf the Moor. Queen of the North. <laughs> yeah. They'll replace the, the statue with the fans of Stavely. But um, yeah, I, I just fear for Leeds. Like, I just don't see how they're going to beat Brentford. Maybe a draw will be good enough. But it's all on that Villa, Villa-Burnley Villa game tomorrow is massive. All right. Phil, good stuff. Thanks very much for that. Yes, OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day tomorrow morning. We'll be joined by Republic of Ireland 21 International Gavin Kilkenny, Alan Quinlan, Tommy Rooney is back with Football Pod Talk. We had the fourth episode of Have You Seen with Joseph Connor. OTB AM with Gillette. 
Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. 